Welcome to episode 26 of the Live, Lift, Love podcast, PEDs, Positive Enriching Discussions. I'm your host, Cliff Janice. You can find me on IG at Galt's Conditioning. You can find me on Twitter at Galt's Condition. You can listen to the Live, Lift, Love podcast on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to like, subscribe, share, and if you visit the Live, Lift, Love podcast on the Galt's Conditioning website, please be sure to leave a comment. Back again, episode 26. Today's episode is with another guest who I met through the book club that I've, I've been doing with a good friend of mine, Thomas. Uh, he shared a story about just transitioning on, on this uh, beautiful fitness journey. And that was kind of the initial, initial reason I reached out to him. But, you know, there's always so much more that I kind of want to discuss. Uh, he's a photographer, photographer and kind of wanted to discuss this, his passions, his creative process, his goals throughout the fitness journey, and learn a bit about, about him and you know, his journey. What's going on, Timmy? What's going on, Clifford? Thank you for having me today. Not a problem, man. Glad to, you know, always glad and honored that people, you know, willing to make time. And, you know, granted, we don't we don't know each other. It was just kind of a random, like, hey, uh, you know, I like your story. Let's just, you know, let's just chop it up and see where it goes. Right, right. But I think it's good anyway. Like, you know, if the vibe is right and the energy is good, like you can just connect like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're the second person from the book club I reached out to. The first person was Quentin. And for him, for him, him, him talking about spirituality, a lot of his, I mean, granted, he talked about it for like a little bit, but from the words he said, it, I, it resonated with me because it felt similar to my experience. And, you know, we ended up having like a three hour conversation about spirituality and just the process of being, being black and there's so many different dynamics. Like I said, for you, it was really, it was you sharing that fitness story, and it wasn't even the main topic of what, of the book club. It was like, you know, we were pre gaming a little bit and it's kind of talking, and you know, I, I, health and wellness is kind of my base. It's one of the things that I love, so I'm always interested in learning more about people who are making the commitment and who are eager to, to change and kind of grow, grow, grow more or grow out of their, their past selves. Yeah, like, so it's kind of interesting with the whole journey, like, you know, we're dealing with COVID and like, you know, just being inside the house, like, I lost a lot of people. And in my mind, like the straw that broke the camel's back was my grandmother. So I was really depressed and I was unmotivated. And like, I used to run and my younger brother came into my room one day. He's like, yo, you're not running? And like, that's when it hit me. I haven't ran in like five months. Like I used to be consistent with it. And I, at that point I was like really depressed. And then I went to go get a checkup and I stepped on the scale and the scale said 344 pounds. And I was like, yo, I really let myself go. Like what's going on? So like after that, that was a big wake up call, like losing my grandmother, um, one of my friends, she was talking about working out and she was excited about it. And I was just like, I need to change my life. Like, I can't keep carrying this weight that I have, even though like, you know, in our community, like we always tell black people like, well, you're carrying the weight well, but like, no, it's not healthy to carry that much weight. Um, so it's one of those situations where 
I just decided, yo, let me make a change. Like, let me challenge myself, challenge my self-discipline. Let's let me challenge my consistency. Right. And pretty much day one was the hardest day. Right. right? And now I'm like today we'll make day 66. So I I, want to get into the fitness a a bit later on. Um, Did you lose your grandmother to COVID specifically? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Was it recent? Uh, April. Sorry to hear that, man. Wow. Yeah. How old was she? She was 70. Yeah, 70. Oh, wow, man. I I think you're probably the first person I've like known personally who has lost someone to um, to, to COVID. Uh, I don't want to dive into that because it still still feels raw. Um, Yeah. uh, So we'll see how the conversation flows and if it if the, you know, if there's more you want to discuss or kind of tie in, we'll definitely get into that. So, so, so to start, you know, I just want to hear about your background, um, going through your social media. I see that you're Nigerian. So I just want to learn about that, whether you were born in Nigeria, whether you were born here, or you first generation American and kind of what that process has been for you in terms of just being immersed in the the black experience in America. I mean, my family comes from Haiti. I'm first generation American. And although I was born here, to me, there's still a unique dynamic of, of being black, but also being Haitian American or first generation of, of um, immigrants. So, you know, whatever you're willing to share. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was born in Nigeria. Um, I came to this country when I was three years old. So, like, you could say, like, I'm Americanized, but, like, I know my roots. I know where I come from. I know my tribe. I know my history, right? And and I think, for me, that was very important. It's, you know, being Nigerian, like, any any ethnicity that comes over from a different place, like, you're going to deal with culture shocks and stuff like that. But, um for me, it was really one of those things where um, when I lived at home, it was a Nigerian household, right? So like very Nigerian upbringing, food was always there, like the culture remained there. Even now, it's still a Nigerian household. But when you step outside, it's, you know, America, right? You have to pretty much like growing up, even now you have to find that balance, right? Um, Growing up for me, it was like being Nigerian, but also when you step outside being black and it was, it was very unique because the the African-American kids didn't really want to play with you because you were African. And then you have some of your African relatives saying that you're too American. So it was kind of like, you're in a limbo state, like, you're Nigerian, but they don't consider you Nigerian. You're African folks and you are black, but the black folks don't consider you black because you're from Africa. So um, growing up with that um, made it sometimes hard to really figure out like where I belonged um, within just this culture in general. Um, But as you grow older, you tend to find yourself. um, And ultimately I just did that. And um, I decided, you know what, like, I know who I am. I can be, I can be both these things. And it's, it's pretty much who I am. It's my makeup. Um, 
just really like understanding and being very proud about your heritage, but also understanding being black in America is also very important to, to me as well. And combining those to build my identity. I would say I like the duality of when you said I'm Nigerian at home, but I'm black outside of the home, you know, you're, you're black in the streets. And, I, and I, that's the, I mean, that that's the reality of the, the black experience in America, right? Outside of African-Americans, you know, anyone from any of the various African countries, anyone from the West Indies, anyone with dark skin pigmentation, outside of America, you are your culture, your nationality, your heritage. But as soon as you come here, it is, it is black, like everyone else. So you said you you worked on finding yourself. And I, I, want, I want to kind of uh, dive into that a bit more. How, how did you find yourself and how are you able to balance the um the duality of home life and being black in america uh so like so that's like such a long process but um finding myself really it really came up with like learning my history and where i come from so like um when you think of nigerians like you think of three tribes yoruba Alsa, and Igbo, right I'm none of those tribes. I'm from the Ishikiri tribe, right? And so for me, it was really digging into the history of Africa. That's where it first started. And then I dug into the history of Nigeria. And what you find out is that there's over 300 and I think 68 ethnic groups, right? That most people don't even know. They only know the big three because, you know, that's um, who dominates, um, that's whose tribes dominate uh, Nigeria. But if you look deeper, there's so many other tribes, right? And so mine, I had to really do the research on my tribe, right? Because I didn't belong to those three. And every time um, other Nigerians come up to me, they would immediately guess that I was one of these tribes. And I would always have to educate them like, no, I'm not one of those three tribes. And there are actually more tribes in Nigeria than you might know. Um, and then to dig even deeper with my tribe, um, I learned that my family comes from the royal bloodline of the Ishikiri. So in my tribe, there is a king, which we call the Olu. And my pretty much my bloodline is has like we come from the royal bloodline and my grandfather actually was supposed to be the king at one time but for one reason or another he declined it um so like just learning back on my history like um learning that i'm just not you know i'm not from the three tribes i'm from another tribe and then on top of that you know how they say africans are african princes and stuff like actually coming from a royal bloodline to actually find that find that out was like oh wow because i remember elementary school i just used to tell like my friends no my family is just you know farmers and all this other stuff meanwhile like no i actually did come from royalty like there is royal blood running through my veins in my family and um pretty much um talking with my cousin and um a, a couple of my family members to always like always remember that like um, despite how the world might look at you, always remember your lineage, always remember where you come from. And so for me, that built up my identity to 
pretty much be proud of who I am, be proud of my culture, be proud of my tribe, even if people don't know it. Take pride in that because it's 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 your history. And a lot of people don't know their history. So that was the first thing for me. And then um, learning Black culture, African-American culture as well, and just understanding that even though I may not been African-American and, you know, uh, haven't had to deal with the stuff that African-American lineages had to deal with. Respecting that culture and understanding when you are Black in this country, you carry that culture on your shoulders as well. So for me, it's it was like one of those things where, like, honor both both your sides of yourself. And as a result, when you combine that, it's to honor thyself. Because every time you walk down, kind of like the book, like we're the perfect model, right? And we're like, so me and Cliff are reading uh, Hell Harper's book. Um, and so he talks about the perfect model. And pretty much we are literally uh, the best versions of our ancestors. But at the same time, um, we embody that spirit of our ancestors. And despite everything that's happened to us, we have to carry ourselves with honor and dignity um, because they did that despite the stuff that they went through. So for me, that pretty much shaped my identity, really diving deep and learning my history. And like for folks who say like, I don't even know where to begin, there's different resources that you can take to learn your history. It just so happens like for me, my family has done extensive uh, research uh, on their own lineage. So I had access to that history. So That's dope. That was going to be my follow-up question. Um, how difficult was it for you to kind of research all this information? But I mean, it's, it's, it seems like the research is just part of your family's experience and part of your identity. And it re- reinforces the, I mean, what every culture, what every bloodline should have, we all should have family trees. We all should be aware of our and our ancestors, excuse me. We all should be aware of our ancestors on a personal level and on a, going back to tribes or nations on a, on a grand scheme of things, because without that, I mean, to your point, you, you can't, it's difficult to look forward. It's, I feel like it's very difficult to look forward and especially be, be, and, you know, indoctrinated into blackness in this country. And that ties in with the idea of learning African-American history also, because regardless of our own uh, separate cultural experiences, you know, again, once our family, once, once you once blackness enters this country, you're, you're, you're rooted in and you're grouped in with everyone else. So knowing what the African-Americans who have been here before have done and knowing what your experience is most likely to be in this country just because of skin pigmentation, it allows you to think to kind of navigate, navigate and understand this country better. But very much to your point, it also allows you to find a deeper connection in terms of who you are, who your ancestors are and who you can be being in this country and, you know, where you can kind of take that in terms of, uh, I guess, you know, I, I feel like most people still come here for the American dream. So, you know, what, what can you, what can you bring in from your own culture and your own identity 
to be part of the yeah be part of the American dream. Yeah, like I totally agree. And uh, another thing I wanted to add that um that con- that I continue to build my identity off of is learning other cultures. Right, I think there's a way that sometimes we get caught up in our own culture that we tend to neglect the learning of other cultures. Right. And like, so for me, I really did my due diligence, like not to only learn my culture, but to learn African culture, to learn West, uh, West Indian culture. You know what I mean? Um, wherever there was black folks, like learning that history, like for, for instance, the Haitians, like literally the first black people to gain their independence. Right. So like, that's important or learning that, um, uh, Jamaicans and Panamanians are relatively close because of like, unfortunately the slave Atlantic, the, the Atlantic slave trade, but like pretty much like they're kind of one in the same, like really doing your due diligence to really research other different cultures really, really allows you to take pride in what has gone on and to really shape your, your world identity because the history books have always taught us like, um, one type of story, how like it was white people who who came over and did this and did that, but um, and the reality is is that that was false, right? And it's kind of interesting that um, these in in textbooks they portray them as like such nice people, but in reality they were savages, right? But yet they claim other people were savages. So it's one of those situations where it's kind of like, you have to just make sure that you know your history so nobody can rewrite it. Yeah, absolutely. And especially now, especially being in America, I mean, we're, we're clichely, as they say, you know, we're a melting pot. And without that base of who you are, who your family is, where you come from, again, learning your lineage, learning, I mean, as much as you can. I I mean, granted, um, you know, some of us have a luxury, I feel. I I think when it comes to West Indians and people from African countries, we have a bit of a luxury in terms of knowing a bit more of our culture and and history. And I feel like the, uh, you know, the uh, trans, the, excuse me, transatlantic slave trade erased so much history for so many black people who are now African-Americans that the other, I'm, I'm trying to think of a general term for, uh, that isn't black, but the, the but other the diaspora immigrate diaspora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be good. Thank you. Um, that other people from other people from the diaspora that immigrate into America, we have a bit of that luxury and, having that luxury to kind of know, learn, learn a bit more about yourself. I think it's important and it, it's crucial. And it, it, I'll, I'll tie it in with the idea of what you said about learning about different cultures, right? So in one aspect, it's not like learning Haitian history, right? Having other, other diaspora nations know about Haitian history and the revolt and that there is the possibility of freedom, right? And granted, Haiti isn't, Haiti isn't a whole lot now, unfortunately. And that's, you know, that's due to politics. That's due to Western civilization kind of just fucking them over. But we, we're looking, we look at history for inspiration, right? We look at history to know that our people didn't just 
you know, just keel over and, and accept the, the punishment and accept the slavery. There are people who fought, there are people who made an effort, regardless of the outcome, it's enriching and it's empowering to know that black people, Africans historically have made an effort to, to free themselves and kind of do more to step out of the, the mental and physical shackles of slavery. Yeah. Um, and like, that's really like a great point. It's, it's one of those things where like history not only provides us our, our darkest times, but it also provides us hope that like, despite all of that, we still made it to this point. Um, and for me, that's something that I think I pull on when I go back, um, just what our ancestors had to endure to actually, to get up, get to the point where I'm at today. And, you know, just like Nigeria, Nigeria is still, still underdeveloped country. And it's, you know, because of Western economics and such, um, it's done a lot of damage, but, uh, despite all of that, we still always find a way to keep moving forward. And for me, I, I just, I just focus on that, um, you know, because there will always be dark times ahead, but it's really about moving forward at the end of the day. Right. And, um, I, I was trying to t tie in the idea of coming to America and the fact that since America is a melting pot, if when, when people immigrate immigrate here, if you become too involved and too enthralled with the American lifestyle, the American dream, that's part of culture culture just you know disappearing from history, right? Without the lineage, without the background, without knowing the history, you just become immersed in American culture. Um, you know, I, and I, I say this respectfully to basically you know all all countries are all. Uh, nationals who come to America and change their names to make it more convenient. Like I have a, a good friend whose family comes from, from China and, you know, his American name is, is David, right? And you, you do that because it's it's just indoctrin indoctrinated into what American is, right? You have to make, you have to make it easier. You have to play the, play the American game in order to get by. And on one level, I get it, right? It's, 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 the goal is to make it easier for people to kind of communicate, reach out to you, and that's fine. But on the other side of that is how much do you let go? So again, you know, without the research, without the efforts to keep some of your identity, at least in home, right? And I, I think I'll go back to your point about saying you were Nigerian at home. If you, if you accept being black American in the street and then you bring that home and you dilute what your heritage and culture is, then that's just, that's just, you know, another, another bloodline, another group of people who have lost their culture and identity to the, um, to the American lifestyle, which is slowly kind of become, well, not even slowly, which is, I think always has kind of been the norm too many, too much, um, too much assimilation without the effort to still hold on to a part of your identity and your culture and being proud, proud about it. You know, when you have kids, are they learning the, the, the native tongue? Are they still, you know, are they learning about the grandparents and the history? Are you still doing that? Or are you just saying, all right, well, you know, you're in America. I, I did everything I could to live the American dream. Now you just go out and be, be a part of it. Yeah. So uh, like, <laughs> 
it's funny because like with all my friends, like when I always uh, question them, I'm like, do you really know your history, like your family history? And they're like, I don't even know where to begin. And I'm like, there's a whole bunch of different resources out there. And I think sometimes like because we're so comfortable and we're so used to like, oh, yeah, the American like being American. Um, you tend to you tend to forget like no i have this pigmentation if i really did my research i'm probably could find out where i do come from like it may be difficult but like passing on that knowledge to the next generation is important it's it's, it's kind of interesting because i don't know if you watch a lovecraft country right so pretty much I was watching Lovecraft Country yesterday and there's a scene where it's uh, Tick, Montrose and Letty. So uh, Montrose, the son is Tick and pretty much Letty is Tick's girlfriend. And pretty much he was tying a rope and pretty much he went into the history of the specific um this is the specific knot that was being tied and how it was passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation until he learned it. And then he taught it to his son and then his son's going to teach it to him. And it's pretty much a way of like keeping your history alive. Right. And so learning your history is super important because you can pass that on to the next generation. And in a way, like, and this is just a bit personal that I've just been like, you know, just learning is a way to stay immortal, right? It's a way that the people in your, in your family can live through you and you pass that on. Um, so I think just like learning your history is so important and really like putting the effort to learn it instead of being comfortable. Because like, I know um, when people do come over, overseas they they they're like oh uh the lifestyle the american dream and all that stuff but some people do get caught up in the american dream and they get caught up in the rat race but the reason why you came here was to have a better life for your family but at the same time don't forget where you came from um because when you do that that's pretty much when you lose your identity the Live, Lift, Love podcast is sponsored by the Black Excellence Shop. Shop our Black Excellence calendar, journal, and bundle at blackexcellencedaily.com and download the Black Excellence Daily app for Android and iOS. Learn, journal, inspire. Blackexcellencedaily.com. Yeah, I'm, I'm also thinking about the people, and maybe this, I know this is probably wholly separate, but it's people who just want to remove their identity and their culture as from as much as possible. They want to start fresh. They want to just come here and just be a, you know, a new person, new identity just to, and, and granted, maybe it's because of the atrocities going on back home. Maybe it's just, sometimes you just need a, a fresh start, which I totally get and understand. Um, I, I was thinking about, uh, I lost the thought. Um, I, I was thinking about the, I guess, cult, cultural appropriation, right? I mean, granted, it, it on one aspect, I don't really, I don't believe in it in one aspect. 
and but in some forms, I, I think cultural appropriation, just the reality of kind of being in this country. And at this point, you know, we're, we're in a we're, we're a global nation, right? They're, they're really the, the borders mean something. But in terms of just uh, consumerism and in terms of style and creativity and consumption, we're all just kind of intermingled. So I wanted to ask, how do you how do you keep yourself from falling too in line with uh, America, Western, Western, Westernization, I guess. How do you just say, okay, like, nah, like I've, I've had my dose. I'm, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to dive in too much into to American lifestyle. I mean, it, it's funny um, because like you have to figure out that balance at the end of the day. Right. Um, you, as you grow up, you like, especially when I'm younger, going back to identity, like when you leave the house, you want, you're trying to assimilate, you're trying to be down, you're trying to be cool, you're trying to, you know, make sure that like people like you, right? As a young kid, that's what we all try to do. Um, we just want to be liked, right? So when we're not liked, we're like, okay, it may be because of my culture. This is the reason why. So I need to act, act more like them, which is the wrong thing to do. Like, as you grow up, you tend to realize like, no, like this isn't good. Like, you know, like certain behaviors that they do isn't something that's for me, right? Pretty much understanding what's for you. And so for me personally, the reason why like, I haven't like fall fell into that trap or, you know, fully like decided, okay, that's what I wanted to do is because number one, I've had great people in my life, great mentors who've persuaded me that like, you have to be your own person, right? Do not assimilate to what you see on TV because a lot of that stuff isn't real. Um, number two, um, understanding my culture, having respect for my culture, um, and, you know, that being an, a part of me. And then the third part, really doing my research on the African-American culture. Like, they'll show you one thing on TV, but, like, doing the research and, like, getting books and reading, like, like Malcolm X's life, Martin Luther King's life, you'll see, like, okay, what they're showing on TV, on the news, and like what's out there in the street isn't all true, right? And you're going to get a whole bunch of flack from like, you know, um, African-American culture. But at the same time, my understanding is that African-American culture is not a monolith. So it's not just one thing. There are different aspects to African-American culture that as you grow older, you're opened up to. And so um, pretty much for me, that's how I didn't fall into the trap. Um, just, you know, just having the right mentors, researching and doing my best to um, like do my due diligence. Like you're going to hear the word research a lot because I, I'm very big on research because the more knowledge, you know, the more um, wisdom that you, you can acquire and um, pretty much move forward 
um, with better decision making. So like for me, that that's what it was like understanding that African American culture is not a monolith, right? What they show you isn't the end all be all. And um, just making the decision to be like, I like some of this stuff, but all of this stuff, it doesn't really rock with me as a person. Same thing with my own culture. There's a lot of stuff within the Nigerian culture that I don't rock with at all. And it's taking those things that you like um, that resonates with you and pretty much um, building off of there. Yeah, I, I like the idea of being your own person. I think that's just kind of the reality that we all need for life. Um, and, you know, thinking about being a kid and thinking about all the times I got teased, being called a Haitian booty scratch, uh, uh, HBO, Haitian body odor, you know, Haitians were always viewed as the, the bottom, the bottom tier of the West Indies, um, just because of the, the, the reality of the poverty and just the lifestyle there. I think it, it's, I mean, I think, as as a whole, out of all the West Indian nations, Haiti has it the worst. And again, it's because of the rebellion and the repercussions that were enforced on them from France and Western civilization. But I, as a kid, as a kid, you you I mean, I, I I remember as a kid, not necessarily denying my Haitian heritage, but just not talking about it as much because I didn't want to get teased and I was just tired of it. But as I grew older and, I, and when I became a teenager and I started learning more and reading about my history and like having more adult dialogue with my parents, I was proud. I was like, holy shit. Like, oh, we, you know, we like, we, we did that. Like I was, I was shocked to learn a lot of different things and ties in with the idea of research. When you, when you learn about the, the history you learn about your heritage and you learn about the accomplishments of, you know, your people and all that they've been through. There's a sense of pride. There's a sense of connectivity and it helps push you forward. And I, I, I definitely believe that our ancestors DNA is within us in some capacity. I mean, you know, there's, you talked about immortality. There's the, the tangible and the practical skills that we teach people or the the stories that we can tell that get passed down from generation to generation. But I also believe that there's just the innate knowledge. There's the innate, you know, the nurture versus nature, excuse me, nature versus nurture aspect where things are just innately in us. And I believe our, our heritage and our, our culture is within us and through different practices, through different um actions you know again research and just conversation and dialogue we we start to embody that and we help push ourselves further and our identity and the culture further and you, you modernize it to an extent also because cer certain aspects you know they, they, they certain things become outdated it's just a reality but i think going back to the idea of balance balancing the western civilization with the heritage of Nigeria, me balancing Haitian culture with American culture. I build and I kind of create, for me, for me, create content or create um, new practices that still relate to the core of what my heritage is, but also I modernize them to keep them relevant so that they can be immortalized to your point. Yeah, like 
I find it interesting that um, growing up, I used to get teased being African, like, you know, Haitian booty scratcher, African booty scratcher. Like, you know, I remember there was a time where a kid told me to go back to my own country and the kid was black. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, now, like going back to your own country's in, right? And I want to say like around 2015, 2016, I really felt some type of way about it when all of a sudden the same people who would make fun of you when you were younger, all of a sudden they were like down with, oh, let's go back home. Let's do this. Let's do that. And like, I'm side-eyeing them, but I had to remember they were just children. They didn't know any better. They didn't know their history, but like those things hurt. You know what I mean? Because like, it makes you something that you're proud of. It makes you want to pretty much like denounce how like your culture or like pretty much like hide it like to what you said earlier and it was one of those things where like even though i got made fun of like my parents always made sure to let us like me and my brothers know no be very proud about your culture right only reason why they're making fun of you is because they pretty much don't really have something like that right and it made a lot of sense because you start to see it as you grow older, like the different transitions and stuff um, of what's going on. But it's 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 an interesting thing. It's an interesting point of view. You just try to do your best to move forward um, and just, you know, continue to research. And just as a result, even now, I'm educating folks who don't really understand their culture and put into pushing them in the right direction. So it, it always comes full circle. Yeah, I mean, going back to the concept of uh, monolithic thinking, I mean, I'm, initially, I, I automatically thought about Joe Biden and his comments, if you don't vote for him, you're not black enough. It's the first thing that came to mind. But um. It's part, uh, I, you know, that for me, that's very much part of the conditioning, um, you know, of American culture. And I view it, and maybe there's there's research and to support this, but I think it's very much just kind of slave and doctrined in terms of, you know, just act like us and behave like us so that none of us get in trouble. I feel like it, it kind of became, I mean, like Der Derby's Dose, which I talked about in the last episode, it's conditioning. It's the mental conditioning to have everyone kind of fall in line to just kind of be the same. So, you know, we're, we're, we're more safe that way, but in modern age, I mean, not even modern age, it's always, it, it stopped working and it's, it's never really worked. It, it's not, um, you know, like, I, you, you look at the way Whites, Asians, um, Indians, Chinese, Japanese, all everyone who isn't of black skin pigmentation is kind of viewed and allowed to kind of be free and different. I mean, I, and granted, this is outside of the perspective of people who are bigots or kind of closed minded. And in the last episode, I brought up the idea of, you know, you, when you see someone black on television do something, you, 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 for some reason, you feel a way you like, you know, in the, in the past, there was the language of, you know, he's, he's making us look bad. She's making us look bad. You know, he set us back X amount of years and you, you try to, at least for myself, 
just going through the process of like, you know, where does that really come from? How, why, why does that person represent me when, you know, they're, they, I, I've never, I've never been to North Carolina. Like how, how is that, how does that person, how is that person reflective of me? And you look at the, the language, like, like we talked about being kids and being teased for being different because we weren't African-American, right? Like if I was African-American, my, my nationality would not, wouldn't be a topic of issue. It would be something else. And again, I think it kind of goes back to the research of not, and to your point also, of not knowing and understanding that these other nations, these other Black people from different countries have a rich heritage. I mean, I, I, I want to... I want to think that part of it may be, uh, maybe arrogance, like, and I, and I get it in terms of Haiti, just because of the condition and maybe because, you know, my family's, my family, my family bloodline has been in America all these years, you know, we, we've made it, you know, I have, I have Jordans, I have, you know, back then it was, you know, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, Nordica, you know, I have gear. So, you know, we made it, we established it. We, we nigger rich in America. And I, I didn't have any of that growing up initially. So I wonder if that, that's also kind of, kind of part of it. You know, the, I guess the consumerism or the capitalistic aspect of this conforming to what the American narrative has been for what blackness should be. And anyone who falls outside of line with, of that is other and is, you know, viewed maybe not as a threat, but um, they're, they're taking away from, I guess, from the black culture, which is synonymous with, with hip hop nowadays. Or not even nowadays, more so in the past. I, th I think we've, going back to your point of, you know, now people want to go back home. It's it's cool to go, it's cool to go to Af African countries now, right? It wasn't that way a couple of years ago. It's cooler now, it's more accepted, which is good. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, um... Uh, so to tackle your first point, um, black people are very empathetic people. It doesn't matter where you you're from. Like if we see something and a black person's acting up, like we literally feel that because it's like, damn, like, even though that person, like, we're not a monolith, like black people, like we have to. I guess because this country, unfortunately, has put us in a position where we have to work two times, three times, four times, ten times as harder than other races. Like, we we get that double-edged sword when somebody does something like crazy or says something. It it kind of does set us back because it's kind of like, first of all, you're not the re representative of us, but like you know, like what we've gone through in this country and pretty much you just don't care because you're only really caring about yourself. Right. Um, then on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, that person doesn't represent who I am as a person, as an individual. So it's one of those things where it's kind of like when we see something terrible or somebody says something stupid as a black person, we question it because it's kind of like, yo, we're better than that. Come on. Like, let's be serious. Um, but, I, but on the other hand, it's kind of like that person doesn't speak for me. I'm my own individual. And unfortunately this country has pretty much created, um, it's created this aspect that as black folks, 
we're under a microscope at all times. We don't have the ability or the latitude to fuck up, uh, pardon my language, um, whereas other races can. And because of Black folks being so tied to this country, like, and being seen as slaves now to free to free people, like quotations, is one of those things where it's kind of like we've always been under a microscope. Mind you, we didn't ask for the microscope, but despite all of that, we keep succeeding, we keep thriving, we keep doing things. Like without us, like this country wouldn't have a culture. And it's one of those things where uh we 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 take pride in our successes but we also criticize the hell out of um our failures um going back to that two edge that two edged sword um and then the second thing i want to say is um the idea that other races um don't get that right it's it's one of those situations where it's like other races came from other countries with their cultures established like they weren't slaves right we have that stigma of black folks being slaves so that like it doesn't matter where country you come from if you know the history of america you know that like black folks were brought over from Africa as slaves. So like, that's one thing that is pretty much like a permanent stain to us at this point and at this time. So it's one of those things where regardless of like how we do, other countries are going to look at us less than because we were slaves in this country. Mind you, like, and, and then they see the other African countries and they see like, oh, well, they're not as developed as um, us. So they're going to constantly look down. So that plays into it as well. The Live, Lift, Love podcast is sponsored by Reaching Toward Your Light, microdosing on life to self-heal from your three trauma triggers. A mental awareness and self-help memoir centered on healing from isolation, trauma, and limited ideologies sparked by personal, social, and spiritual trauma triggers. Learn more at reachingtowardyourlight.com. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that I, something, rather, something that I realized uh, last year, I, went, I think it was last year, I went to the Labor Day Parade on Eastern Parkway, and it didn't, it, I've seen it before, but it, it never hit me that there are so many white people who wear Haitian flags or have t-shirts um, just wearing with the Haitian flag on it or just any type of, um, I guess, clothing or they're representing Haiti in some type of aspect. And it, it led me down the, the train of thought that I think white people respect Haiti because they they fought for their freedom. Um, and this isn't, a, again, this isn't, a, this isn't a takeaway from the nations that have been enslaved and African-Americans experience. But I think the act of fighting, right? Risking your life, like literally risking your life and going to war to attain freedom. I think it, it changed, it changed their perspective on, on Haitians specifically. And it's something that I've been trying to dive in and think a, a, a lot, think about a bit more. Um, 
because the I think historically the the uh, at least the Europeans or, or, the, or the white white people in general, their perspective has always been to kind of just go to war, you know, give me liberty or give me death, and they're willing to fight as in in mass for freedom, and historically we only re- we only really know about Haiti's slave re- 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 revolt. Excuse me. Personally, I don't I don't know of any other mass any other nation that has had a, a mass revolt and and one um i'm not sure if you, if you know but please please do let me know if you do i know i do it's like so again um like and this is why i feel like it's so important to learn other people's history like for instance ethiopia ethiopia i think if if i'm i'm pretty sure it's ethiopia it's the only country only african country that wasn't conquered literally the only African country that was not conquered. Um, there, there's so many different, um, stories about different African countries. Um, uh, like for instance, like South Africa and the apartheid movement and how they had to fight in order to get their freedoms. Um, in Nigeria, how they had to push back colonialism, but within that, like, um, the Biafran War literally was a power struggle amongst Nigerians fighting amongst themselves to pretty much gain supremacy, like different tribes to try to gain supremacy. Um, and like, there's like different, there's different stories of different countries that you can really look up to learn what's really going on. Um, it's, it's, it's all there. It's, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, if we like really do our due diligence to learn this stuff, then we can really, really change like the thought process because like Haiti's the main one. Right. And for me, that was the first one that I learned. I was like, Oh wow. Like these people managed to uh, gain their independence, like the first country to do it. You know what I mean? Uh, And then for me, I researched uh, how other people, other countries gain their independence. And it's it's just all fascinating stories. It's pretty much like the pe- people had enough and like, you know, give me liberty or give me death. And they fought for what they believed in. And this the rest is history. And it it re- refuels your point about research, right? I, I need to, I think, I mean, part of it is maybe arrogance of mine. And like, since my family's from Haiti. I only focused on the Haitian revolution and the Haitian slaves fighting for their freedom. And I was like, okay, I, I feel content with this, but through this conversation, I guess just going through, um, my own need to, I guess, p- put the, the champions, the, not even the champions, the, uh, the success of, black oppressive groups throughout history. I mean, that, that's something that I think is definitely necessary. And and now it's given me an idea to kind of just create some type of resource that where people can learn about all the rebellions and all the, the pushbacks against oppressed black groups throughout the, um, throughout history and their successes or failures. And I mean, even, even the failures I think are necessary, right? There, there needs to be a need to show it, it there's a need to show that people tried. I mean, I think most people are conditioned to believe that, you know, slavery was that's just what it was. You know, everyone accepted it. 
you had Nat, Nat Turner, you had um, Harriet, excuse me, you had Harriet Tubman. Then that was it. Everyone just kind of accepted it and was okay with it. But that's not the reality. And, you know, we're in a, we're in a, I guess, amazing time when it comes to black history globally, because there's more information coming out. You know, the, the, the whitewash history books are being put aside and people are doing their own research. There's all these resources coming out, all these stories being retold for the first time ever. And that needs to, that needs to be a focus because again, to our earlier points, learning that your ancestors fought, no, no one just laid over and accepted it. People fought, people died and people made the effort to kind of get, to get free in whatever capacity they, 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 they could. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's just one of those things where it's kind of like, um, learning other people's history literally can enrich your history. So like, for me, I'm a big person, like I'm a history buff, like anything with history, I want to learn it. Um, because I'm a strong believer that when you learn from the past, you won't make the same mistakes, right? Like the quote goes, um, um, uh, be well to learn from the past. So that way, um, the you won't fall into the path of making the same mistakes or something like that. But it's one of those situations like don't let the past repeat itself. That's the quote. Um, that's why you learn from the past, because if you don't like it literally repeat itself. So for me, take learning the different histories of like Ethiopians, Haitians, Jamaicans, like all this other stuff. And what you realize is that the common foundation, if you really look at it, it's all from African culture. Like all it is, is like a different variation of African culture. Um, and it's one of those things that you can take pretty much, you can take culture and it can transform into many different ways, but the foundation, the roots of it are all the same. And that's what links us all together. Um, so I, I, it's so important that people just educate themselves because the more you educate yourself, the more you know, and the more you know, the more that you can see, okay, we're heading down the same path. Okay, this is what happened when they did it back then, our ancestors. It didn't work for them. So let's try to do something different. And, and that can apply to even us right now. When we see one of our boys do something, and unfortunately, like, you know, something bad happens, it's kind of like, okay, I saw him do that. It didn't work for him. So it's probably not going to work for me. Right. And the possibilities and the likelihood that it's going to work for one individual is slim to none. So like, why take that chance? Right. It, it's, it's the, it's a base, right? I'm just learning from mistakes. Or, and you don't always need to go through, I feel like we did, uh, I vaguely remember us talking about this in the book club. Like, I don't need to, if, if you put your hand on the stove and get burned, I, I know that's what happens. I don't need to do it to experience it. And sometimes you do. Sometimes you need to have your own experiences and just kind of go through the process because that's just part of life. But certain aspects, you just see, I, like, he did that. It didn't work out for him. I'm good. I'll pass. Tying into to culture and to your earlier point about Without black culture, this country wouldn't be what it is. 
lately I've been thinking about the demise of hip hop. And um, I think maybe two, two or three years ago, J. Cole was, I think he was uh, at Honey 7 talking to Angie Martinez, and he talked about jazz music and how, you know, jazz was created by black people. And then slowly it transitioned. And now all the remaining jazz artists, for the most part, are white people. And granted, historically, the I think some of the most famous jazz musicians are black. And everyone is aware of that. But modern day jazz, it's very white. And I'm looking at hip hop and I'm looking at the tra trajectory. I'm looking at the transition. Like I look at videos or clips of concerts and all you see is just white people. I'm thinking about all these new artists, all these new white artists who, and granted, like I understand that um, it's for everybody. I understand music is for everybody. Everyone's allowed to kind of come in and take and create it's fair and it's it's what it should be. And I was thinking about um what who was the who was the most recent cultural appropriator? I I, I forget. I think it was something in the news last week. Um someone was upset. People were upset. Oh, it was uh, Adele when she was she went to whatever festival she had the Bantu knots and she had the Jamaican um I guess a bikini top and people were saying she was a cult cultural appropriating. Okay, that's that's whatever it is within itself. Then I was thinking about hip hop, thinking about the music and the direction it's going. And why don't black people ever push back against artists who are white artists who are taking over hip hop? You know, the I think granted, I don't I don't really know because I don't pay attention to the new age of hip hop. You have Post Malone. Um, I think. Uh, little Zan, I believe. <laughs> I feel old and out of touch. But where's 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 the fight to be like? Where's the fight to own own this music? And you know, I, I really feel that like in ten years from now, hip hop is just gonna be something. It's gonna be whitewashed again. I mean, I look at the blues. I look at rock and. I mean, go back to your point in terms of culture. Africans, American African Americans have created created music what music is today is i think 100 percent based on african-american culture throughout the 50s 60s and 70s but all of that again rock blues jazz country I mean, maybe not country but it's become whitewashed like i think about especially blues blues music right like what what was going on for white people that they needed blues music like what is what is that? What was there to be depressed about besides, you know, your slaves being gone or something, right? Or having to work? Like, it 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 had to, the concept the concept of blues had to come from oppression, like real oppression, and it's gone. And everything, little by little, is just being gone to the is is gone and being taken away, and it's being allowed because, I mean, there's a lot of factors, right? There's we go back to like research, right? Not being aware or not looking at what's going on presently, comparing it to the past and preparing to make sure it doesn't repeat itself again. Yeah. So, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you. Please your, do. <laughs> I'm gonna challenge you on your point of view. Right. So like little Zan, RIP, um, post Malone, he considers himself not to be a rapper. He's more so pop, right? Um, but he got his start in rap, yes. 
like i think the state in where like all these up-and-coming white rappers are allowed to come in the game and like enjoy hip-hop is because we're very inclusive people right like with if you're white we don't and black this goes for black people if you're white we okay your appearance is kind of like the first thing that we see but if you're lyrically talented it doesn't matter it's why eminem is literally one of the best rappers out out you know what i mean right now it's one of those situations where like because we're such an open people like it's one of those things where it's like all right if you white all right let's see if you can spit the curiosity you know what i mean and if they can it's like okay a white boy can't submit like because we we give it up to white people who have rhythm who have this who have that because it's an anomaly right and then when you really look at the landscape of hip-hop how many white rappers can you really name right it's not a lot right um and the ones who are in the limelight like they've built their own following they've they've garnered um an audience and pretty much like that's what it is like they're respected um and then on top of that with this younger generation i gotta understand why you're saying like um hip-hop is becoming whitewashed but then again this younger generation like if i we can just broaden it out like white people are the ones who are buying music but at the same time if you look at the protests it's the younger white folks right they're the next generation they're the ones who understand like yo i do not want to live in a world with racism and stuff like that so they're really challenging um the old school idea and the old guard idea of uh pretty much what's been going on right because we grew up in it it's it's kind of hard for us to take a, a step back to look at the bigger picture but like we give shit to the next generation but the next generation is the one who like they're primarily doing the work because we did the work and nobody listened to us but like more of them have adopted that mindset of like nah like that shit is not okay da 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 and they're challenging um the world views so i would challenge i would challenge your perception on that is the music good not really I, I can I can say that it's, it's not good music, but it's one of those situations where like this is what people like, um, and so they garner the audience. As far as hip hop goes, and like the audience being mostly white, the funny thing about tickets are they're not that expensive. Like literally, black people spend. We have the most spending power in this country. I, I think it's like one point three trillion dollars. So, like, we're we're the ones who are supporting the majority of this stuff, and we we set the trends and everything. Um, but what you see in shows, the people who go out to support their artists and buy their tickets, is white folks. If you ask a black person when was the last time they went to a concert, they couldn't tell you because they don't go to concerts like that. It's, it seems to happen more now, but like for me, like I like going to concerts, so I'll be one of those uh, ticket goers. But like most of the artists that I like, like 
the population of the people in those shows is like it's mostly black but you have a lot of they have a lot of white fans there as well so like it's one of those things where it's like i would challenge your worldview to actually like really go and investigate because it's one of those situations where like what we see on social media kind of dictates our overall point of view and i'm not saying that's your point of view but like what you see in social media isn't what's going on in real life. Um, so I just think that idea is so interesting that we look at certain things and we feel like it's becoming whitewashed. But at, at the same time, it's, it's not like they're actually changing. They're actually doing the work to change the narrative uh, if we actually take a, a deeper and closer look. But at the same time, because we've gone through it and we haven't seen any real change and our minds is like, nah, that's what it's always going to be. Like eventually get whitewashed, like blues, like jazz and all that other stuff. And even with that, like we don't even have black people playing instruments anymore. Right. Which is disappointing. Um, so that in, in, in turn, pretty much goes to the decline of black people in jazz and is being adopted mostly by white folks. Like the interest of playing instruments and getting into that genre, because unfortunately, um, if you become a rapper or athlete, like if you, if you blow, like you can make a lot of money, but even within that, that's a false narrative. So that's what I'll say. So don't you think inc inclusivity is part of the issue? And I, I want to go back to the base of inclusivity, which I, I view as slavery. I mean, white people came to the African coastline countries and through that allowance, I, that's to me, that's what kind of started slavery. And part of me bringing, bringing this up is also the, I guess the hypocrisy. I, I always, I always try to look at hypocrisy for things. So there's, again, there's a pushback when certain people do certain things, but to your point, there's the, you know, the anomaly aspect, like, Oh, you know, he has rhythm. Oh, she has rhythm. Oh, she could dance. She could whine all that. It's cool and fun then. But that I think that continual allowance is what opens up the gateway for more of the, um, I'll say black culture to kind of be removed, right? Big butts, hips, thick hips were never respected until the Kardashians started doing it, right? There's, there's, I think there's also a reality of what, what the black experience is and what the, again, again, the black culture is, it's always stigmatized. It's always viewed as being counterculture to the American dream. But once white people start to assimilate and kind of become part of whatever, whether it's music or whether it's clothing and fashion, then it kind of becomes more okay. Like I think about baggy jeans, right? Baggy jeans makes you make you a thug. They make you um, a, a threat. But then I think about all the kids that used to wear Jinko jeans in junior high school, and they, they were baggy jeans, and they were fine and wide, widely accepted. So. I, I totally I understand I understand your points, but I, I think that through allowing these um, and and granted, like I, I'm not I'm not saying that I don't support the idea of, and I, I just want to make this clear, rather I don't want to I'm not saying that I don't support the idea of other other people of other groups and races 
being part of the experience, being part of the genre or being part of black culture or what it is. I'm not saying things need to be closed off. I just think that the allowance and the flexibility in terms of allowing everyone and anyone to just kind of be a part of it, I think it does more damage down the road. Um, you brought up Eminem. Eminem is only respected at that level because of his lyricism. If Eminem was rapping the way these rappers um, rap currently, he wouldn't be respected. And I know it's relative to the times, and I understand that hip hop music has been watered down um, in terms of just content. And granted, it's it's a it it's on both sides. It's what the people want to consume, so it's what the artists create. But by removing the skill level from hip hop, right? You look at someone like Takashi Six Nine, removing the the artistry and the skill level. I think it leaves leaves the door open for everyone and anyone to come in and further grab, right? The King of New York isn't a black person. The King of New York is, and I, and I, and I don't, I say this respectfully, is, you know, he's a Mexican kid and there's nothing wrong with that. But all of his acts are counter to what hip hop has started as, right? And again, granted it's relative and granted times have changed. I think that the trend and the flow is aligning with all the past music we've talked, you know, the, the past genre musics we've talked about. And I worry that it ends up at the point where we just become more further removed from the artistry and the history, right? There's no, there's no, there's no hip hop museum. There's, there's no, like, where, 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 where's the core of hip hop history? Where's that foundation? After all these years, all these uh, rappers have become millionaires, close to billionaires. Where's the foundation to kind of create and create the staple and identity and foundation of this is hip hop and this is part of the black culture and black experience. And I, I think I think so so much is missing and so much is being let go. And you know, again, I understand that the times are shifting and it's again it's still relative. But I think on the consumer's end, I think as a as a mass, as black people who are upset about again, cultural appropriation and having their their culture and the things they support and love being taken away from them, I think there needs to be a bit more focus on hip hop because I, that's that's one of the last standing foundations, I think, of the black experience in the United States and even globally. And without what hip hop has done these past um, 30, 30 years, we, I, the whole black experience would be totally different. So I think there needs to be more of a fight for it to kind of keep it to, to solidify what it is and where it's going. Because then we just, again, it's just a free fall. Everyone is allowed to come in and kind of do whatever they want. And it's just another thing that we've lost. And then we'll look back 50 years from now and be like, hey, how did that happen? And it'll be too late again. No, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I think like, the common denominator when it comes to all this is capitalism, right? Um, that's why it's so inclusive, right? That's why we make it so inclusive because when we open it to other audiences, like that money can start rolling in. Going back to your point, who do you see at concerts? White folks, right? It's all about the dollar at the end of the day um, when you really think about it. And like, most people, once they get the bag, like 
they don't really care. Like, and we now live in a microwave music society where like you could put out like multiple albums, like in, in this, in the time span of months where back in the day, like you had a whole team behind you and all this other stuff. And with streaming and access, right? Because I think that's the most important thing access we have more access than we ever did back in the day it's more accessible to more people um you could reach a wide audience and so with with that it's one of those things where like you gotta ask yourself are you doing it for the art or are you doing it for the money and most people do it for the money and most people like the drama it's entertaining and they always have an opinion and it gives something like in a person's life, it gives them like some type of worth or some type of value. And at the end of the day, that's pretty much what it is when you really take a look at it now and where it's headed to. Um, and it's just going to be um, what's the next what's the next thing, because hip hop is going to be a staple forever. And I think that history will always be there. But um it'll be if you especially now because we have access to so many things if you want the conscious rap you can find the conscious rap if you want to turn your mind off you can find the mumble rap if you're looking for people in between you can find that as well if you want pop rap there's that like there's so many categories and so many genres and options that we have it becomes watered down like that's that's what ends up happening if you're not really precise in what it is that you're looking for, you get like you could easily get lost in the sauce. So, yeah, that that is definitely the reality. Uh, too too many options. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's transition back into you. I I, I did not expect us to kind of get into the to all of that, but I'm I'm glad we did. So from what I've viewed on your website and your social media, one of your passions is photography also? Yes, it is. All right. So tell me, tell me about that. What kind of, what led to you either finding that passion, fulfilling that passion and what, what a bit of your creative process and, you know, what catches your eye? Um, so photography for me is, uh, it's more so a healing process. So I suffer from clinical depression and I tried to commit suicide three times. And on the last time I really was reeling. Um, and I needed something like to hold on to, um, because like, I didn't feel like, you know, my life was enough. Like I, I didn't feel like it really mattered, but my mentor, he called me one day after like the failed suicide attempt. And I told him everything that was going on. And he pretty much told me like, you have to create something. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be bad. It just has to be for you. Create something. And so for me, that really got me into the process of like, okay, create something, but what should I create? What what it what is that gonna be? And I, I ended up watching a video on a photographer. And I recently bought an expensive camera for a podcast that I was doing with my boys. But like, otherwise, I, like besides the podcast, I never really used a camera. And he said, you bought an expensive camera and you're not using it. 
So what was the point of buying it? And that really hit home and resonated with me, both my mentor and the the camera. But to jump backwards, in middle school, um, I took a photography class and we had a competition and I came in third. And the teacher pulled me aside after class and he was like, you really have an eye for this. Mind you, I'm in middle school. I don't even know what he's talking about. I just want to like hang out with my friends and go play outside. Like that's, that's what it's really about. But um, it started back then, but I didn't understand it now until we jumped forward and when I had that conversation with my mentor. So I was like, you know what? I need a heal. Let me just create. So like the photography really started with just creating, like just taking pictures of myself and writing. So like I used to, and I still do incorporate my writing with a self-portrait. So like when I do self-portraits, it's a healing session. Um, I recently did one on healing and scars on my IG. And pretty much when I do that, it's because like something's bothering me or something I need to get out. Um, and I have to process that information in order to heal from whatever it is that is bothering me. And for me, that's what it was like. So photography, but just more so the art of creation, right? Saved my life. Photography is the tool and the, and the form that I use, right? But I use multiple forms. I shoot video, I draw, um, I write. But photography at that point was the was the tool that allowed me to create. So for me, like the art of creation is the main reason why I decided to become a photographer. And ever since then, like the rest is history. Um, I've been shooting on and off for about 10 years, but professionally and actually getting paid for my work has been around three years going on four. And for me, it's one of those journeys where like I had to, it saved my life, right? Um, it's one of those things that saved my life. It gave me purpose and pretty much um, allowed me to understand why I was put on this earth. So that's a beautiful way to, to bring it all back together. Um, Passions, you know, passions, the things that it's, it's interesting, like, um, so this week for the book club, we're talking about manifesting your destiny and it talks about your, your purpose in this life. And for you, it's photography. You, you found that, um, through kind of going through your lows, uh, is the, the suicide Oh, the suicide topic, something you're comfortable talking about or expanding on a bit more? Yeah, it's, it's perfectly fine. It's one of those things that will always be um, there, but I feel like I have to share that story because other people might be going through it and right. understanding, like, I was at that place too, and you can get better and move forward from it. Have you, are you, rather, are you aware of what has led to your clinical depression? Um, uh, a lot of childhood trauma, um, okay. things growing up as well. Um, witnessing violence, um, uh, just, you know, different things. But, um, I would say 
yeah, like a lot of my childhood trauma would be that. And like a particular thing that I witnessed that triggered it when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and is this in Amer- in America? And no, nah, this was this was back in Nigeria. Oh, OK. Um, I, 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 I kind of wanted to maybe tie it into the, the black experience just in terms of the. I'll use the phrase of violence porn um, that we're kind of this conditioned to, to see. On one aspect, there's the television and then there's media, there's the movies and all of that. But I think for a lot of black people growing up in the inner cities and the hoods, it's it's just a, it's a reality of just kind of seeing it in your face. I mean, I think a lot of us have seen things and have stories that, you know, we don't share with people. Um, some things, you know, you kind of tune out or some things you like, like very much to your point, it's just been a part of you and it stays within you throughout the rest of your life. Uh, you know, I t- I t- this is a quote that I always say, and I said in the last episode that my friend uh, told me once that changed my perspective on things. And it's that, um, you know, there's certain things ingrained to us in our childhood that we just can't shake certain things that no matter what, no matter how old you are, man, it just latches on to you. On my end, I also have, I'll say clinical depression, even though I've never been um, fully diagnosed, but through, through research and just understanding what it is, it's, it's been something that's kind of been throughout my life. Also dealing with childhood trauma. Um, I, you know, I have thanatophobia also, which is fear of death, I, which kind of ties into the childhood trauma. I'm a nihilist. I don't really believe like this life has purpose. I'm a misanthrope. I, you know, I think humans are kind of shitty. And a lot of that has kind of tied into just how I, uh, how I maneuver through this life experience. And on my end, I found my passion and I found things to kind of keep me focused in order to do the work that I feel and know that I'm here to do. But in the back of my mind, all of those uh, all of that weight, like you talked about the physical weight of, um, you know, being 300 plus pounds, all of the psychological, mental and spiritual weight still weighs on me. And life for me is just kind of just moving forward and hoping that the work I do takes takes off some of, the, some of that load. If you would be open to it, I'd like to hear like one of your, your breaking points that kind of led to one, one of the uh, suicide attempts. Um, yeah, so, um, uh, so, uh, one of the breaking points, like I'll talk about the third one, uh, just a lot of bad shit was going on. I lost a couple of friends, um, that they died suddenly, uh, found out my ex-girlfriend cheated on me that, that, that rocked my world. Like I was going to propose two weeks before and then I found Shit. out. So like that rocked my world. Um, a lot of stuff within my household at home wasn't good. Um, and like, I hated my job. Like all those things came to a head. And like, I remember standing on the train platform and the train coming and like, I was like, man, fuck this shit. I'm going to just end it all. And if it wasn't for, if, if it wasn't for two people, if it wasn't for my boy, Joe, and if it wasn't for my sister, Kusan, 
like I probably wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> like I have real talk. Um, because like they knew something was wrong and they immediately reached out. Like, and in my mind that just reaffirmed like, okay, God does exist. Right. For me, because like I could have ended it all and I was sure I was going to do it. And right before I did it, got a text message from my boy, Joe, got a phone call from uh, my sister, Akusian, and her saying like, yo, I felt like you were about to do something that you couldn't take back. So I called you. How how she knew that? No idea, right? But one of the, the running jokes that we have is that we're twins, like, so we're linked. Um, so in that way, it, it was true. So um, for me, like, a lot of that stuff, like, really built upon, and I was like, yeah, this shit ain't worth it right and on top of my clinical depression that didn't help as well um so that pretty much allowed me to decide hey i'm gonna really try to do this for the third time but that's the you know that that's it's heavy the the beginning is heavy to to, um to, to what you just said right you it's like you you didn't have anywhere to go right work wasn't there was no escape work home relationship and all of that takes its toll on self and there's there's nowhere to turn to there's nowhere to find some type of comfort um and you know i I believe i don't believe in a god per se but i believe in universal energy which for me is what we call love as humans so when you when you when you told that story, I, you know, I thought about love, you know, this, that that en- the energy, this knowing that someone somewhere that you care about is in need of you reaching out. What was your what was your your, your, your what was your thought process when you got that phone call and text? Were you eyed wide? Did you feel humble? Did you cry? Like what what was that process for you? No, nah, I was crying. Um, like I was crying. I was like, how did you know? And she was like, something told me, like, just something told me, like, I just knew that I needed to reach out. And like, I was crying and I was on the phone for like a good two hours with her. And she was just being there. She was just being supportive. Um, and it's just one of those things where, you just you just have to really take um inventory and it's funny because when i think about all three attempts i've gotten three uh, like every single time a person has called me like yo you're about to do something stupid don't do something stupid right all three times um you're meant to be here you're meant to be here and so and yeah and that's pretty much what it really came down to and i was like all right i tried to do this three times and each time somebody has stopped me, I have a purpose on this planet. I just have to figure it out. And so that's what led me to have the conversation with my mentor and him telling me, create, just create something like, so, um, it's, it's been interesting. Um, and it's really allowed me to really start to break down my walls and be vulnerable to with people about that story, because I always say, like, my story might help somebody. I don't know. But I think 
and just in our society, like we we're we're not allowed to be vulnerable, especially as men, especially as black men, we're not allowed to be vulnerable. But I'm like, damned if I do, damned if I don't. Like I was here. Like if I don't do this, like somebody might be in the same position as me, and they don't have that person who's gonna reach out to them. So if if I could tell my story and it resonates with somebody, then like. And I always say this about my artwork or whatever I do. If I've done something that's able to heal a person, then I've truly walked in my purpose because that's my purpose. It, it makes me think about what you said earlier in terms of being your own person, right? And on the one side, you know, we talked about the research and going back into heritage and history and culture and where you fit in um past and present but then there's being your own person in terms of you know looking in, looking into yourself researching yourself finding out who you are finding out what you want finding out what your passions are what makes you unique as an individual and i think so many if not a lot of us feel the burden of life and society because number one we're conditioned not to, we're conditioned to be part of we're conditioned to be hamsters in a wheel right just you go to work you work your nine to five you're on the train i mean this, this is mostly for new york you're on the train for an hour and a half you go home you eat dinner you watch tv then you re repeat and you recycle all and on and on and then no no nowhere in between that that process of giving to the world do you give to yourself at no point do you just stop and say okay what do i like what's important to me we're always giving never giving to ourselves which limits our ability to kind of receive. I mean, I think the, that those phone calls you said, you know, you said you received three phone calls every single moment where you were going to, you know, take, take things to that extreme measure and you received, you received love, you received energy, you received vibrational energy that told you this isn't your fate. This is not what you're meant to do. And through like you said, taking inventory of yourself and finding out who you are, what you want, having that conversation with your mentor and making the effort to make time for yourself in a more, in a positive light, in terms of creativity, you learn more about yourself and you learn that your role is to heal people, to support people in whatever capacity. And I think realistically, that's what we're all here for, you know, where, Again, we're conditioned to be these um, these drones, right? Just these robots, just work, home, sleep, vacation twice a year, and then repeat until you're 70, you retire, and then now you can finally enjoy life. But by then, you know, you've you have high blood pressure, you have diabetes, you have you know, you have Alzheimer's, you have all these diseases because you spent so much of your life not looking into yourself for comfort and happiness and the the sooner we find it right i mean i think this is very much part of what we're going through now you know in the spiritual world there's the view that what we're in now is the great awakening where people are finally starting to realize that there's more to this world and you see it on social media you see all these small business owners you see people creating all this content and re regardless of what the content is but they're fulfilling their passion you know, how many YouTube channels, IG, everyone's out, not everyone, there's so many people out here creating content, putting their effort into disconnecting with people and providing services. 
And that's what we're here for. That's the community aspect. That that's that's what we that's what humans were at the base when we started in Africa. The small bartering system. Everyone has a role. Everyone supports 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 each other. Excuse me. But now with the internet, with excuse me, with social media, you have a global reach. And granted, you don't need the global reach, but being able to, you know, post an post an image for you or for me, uh, post a, a podcast episode. If one person is like, hey, I felt that, I appreciate that, work is good, right? Because like on a, on a podcast episode, po- podcast aspect, right? It could be a two-hour, three-hour episode, but that little time block can change someone's life for thousands of hours, right? Or you take a, a meaningful photo, and granted, not saying all, all the photos aren't meaningful, but you take a photo, you do a photo series, and you know, let's say it takes you eight hours in total to take the photo, edit, set it up, post, caption. That eight hours block, again, can motivate and inspire someone for thousands of hours on end. So the more we as individuals kind of tie in and focus on what we need to do for ourselves, we naturally end up doing for others also. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, um with my artwork it's really like for me right it's it's a healing process um but i think for me the plus side what i've realized is like oh this resonates with a lot of people a lot of people are feeling the same way that i'm feeling oh they i actually relate to these people i'm not out here by myself right because no man's an island and like you know as a person who likes an introvert who's a loner like myself like my circle is like really really small but at the same time what i realized is like a lot of people feel the same way i feel so maybe that circle like that i think my own personal circle small but people that i think resonate with me and what like are similar to me that's actually kind of broad it's actually very big so it's just it's just very interesting uh, when you when you're doing something that you're doing and it's primarily for you right self-care um the betterment of yourself you put it out there in the world and it resonates with other people and it's like, oh, snap, like, I'm not alone in the world. Like, you know, you're able to connect with people that you don't even know, but just like the energy, right? You, you're you connecting on that same wavelength, that same energy that other people have. I think it's a fascinating thing. So how do you balance the clinical depression with the creativity? That's that's always been, I mean, for me, that's my constant. That's my always, it's always been my, my constant issue going back into all the, uh, the pessimism. You know, my, my friend, uh, I did a podcast with one of my friends and he called me the king of cynicism, <laughs> king of cynicism, which has value within itself. But there's the, there's a knowing what you're here to do. There's the, the effort, there's the small victories that you've experienced or large or large victories also. But then there's, the the core of what you're still dealing with as as an individual that's dragging you down that's telling you hey you know no one's fucking with no one's fucking with that no one cares about that no one's listening no one likes that how do you balance the the negativity with the creativity 
uh, like the first thing that came in my head is when I get those negative thoughts, like I do the complete opposite, right? So like one of the things is like, nobody understand, I don't need to share it. No, I'm going to share it. I'm going to open up, like let people know, let people in, right? Let those people in your circle in so they can actually help you um, to deal with that load. Right. Because we deal with, like, I know for me, I've dealt with my depression for so long by myself that it, it, it becomes a burden on other people that don't even know, like you're putting a burden on them and they don't even know what you're going through. Right. So by opening up to them, you lighten the load by doing the thing, the opposite thing of the thing that you were going to do. Like, for instance, if I'm depressed, I want to be by myself. No, I'm not going to be by myself. I'm going to walk my ass to my friend's house and we just going to chop it up. Right. Even though my energy might be low, when I go see him, it'll increase my energy up. Um, and these this um, th this is just stuff like that I've learned throughout the years. Um, another important thing, therapy, 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 therapy. Um, if you're feeling like any type of way, go talk to somebody, right? So I've been in therapy in and out for 16 years. And like, at this point, it's one of those things where like, I can sit down with a therapist, they could tell me like something. They A lot of therapists can't really tell me anything that I don't know because I've been in therapy for 16 plus years. So one of the things I had to do was like, I have all these notes, start putting them in practice, start eliminating the things that work and start um, adding the things that do work into your lifestyle. So um, just to repeat, um, doing the opposite thing that you normally would do when you're depressed. Um, therapy, 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 and um, opening up to your friends and family that like who will understand and going through that process rather than putting it all on your shoulders. Because when we tend to do that, we're actually a burden to other people. Like we're actually putting that weight on them because when we enter a room, like my mentor told me one time that um, every time that I enter a room, I dictate the the whole the whole room's energy, right? And that's kind of like a big deal. Like I didn't really realize it because I was always sad at, all the time, and every time. I, when I started to notice it, I was like, damn, like my energy really did bring down the mood. It could be like bright and lively. And once I got in there, I just sucked all the energy out the room. Um, but once I really started to work on myself and I had really high energy, I realized the room had high energy. So it's really um, how you present yourself to the world every morning and really trying to fight. Um, every single day because it's difficult. Like today, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to go to work. Like, you know what I mean? But I had to push through and I did the opposite. And as the day went on, you know, it got better. Um, it's to the point where I'm doing this podcast with you and I'm having a great conversation. So it's one of those things where like, just do the exact opposite of the thing that you're going to do and like things will get a lot better. Now, disclaimer, I'm not telling you like to do something outrageous, like, you know what I mean? But do something that you're comfortable with, right? So if that's like, you wanna sleep in all day, go exercise, go take a walk, um, do something in nature. 
but don't do the same. Don't do the thing that will keep you in that state. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in the last episode and in a few previous episodes, I talked about, um, I used to live in Miami and I used to wake up every morning and go for a jog and meditate and do some yoga on, on the shoreline. One morning I woke up, it was cloudy and I was like, eh, I don't, I don't, I just want to stay in bed and just, you know, be sad and just be, be in my own feelings. And I told myself, I said, okay, if I didn't have depression, what would I be doing? And I said, I'd go to the fucking beach and run. And that's what I did. And then I had this uh, life changing moment. And through that, and granted, you know, it's, it's willpower. Like it's not adding to the disclaimer and adding to um, this little pretext. Like it's not, you're not going to win the fight the first time always, right? It takes time to get that willpower where you, where you can f- push back against the depression, against the blues, against whatever is kind of limiting your experiences in life. But one day, you know, you, you just push through and you have, and you, you see what the other side is, right? You, we, I think I say we people who have depression, you know what, you know what it is, you know, what lying on the couch all day feels like, you know, what lying on the bed all day feels like, you know, what, you know, eat your mad shit feels like we, we know, but what you don't know is the possibilities on the other side. If you just step out of yourself a little bit, um, and one thing I also realized is that for me, at least what depression has shows me is that <clears throat> I guess going back to the idea of doing the same thing over and over again and knowing what, what knowing the, the limitations and knowing the flow and knowing the, the lack of possibilities, you already, you already know all that. So repeating the same act isn't going to help you. You have to step out of yourself. You have to step out of the character of the you know depressed Clifford to see what the other side of Clifford is. What are the other possibilities for Clifford? What can an hour walking in the sun do do for Clifford? What can a a twenty minute jog on the shoreline do for me? Anything's possible. I could meet someone on the shoreline, right? I mean, it, it can. You know, that that day it rained and I meditated in the rain. And again, I said I had this amazing experience. If, like you said, you instead of staying home and just kind of being in the front, you go talk to your friend. You know, maybe maybe your friend is your support, right? And maybe they didn't want to say anything, but you showed up. You had this great introspective conversation. You support them, and indirectly, they didn't even know it, but they helped su- supported you. So again, acting, like you said, acting and committing to acts that help further enrich this life experience. But that's, I mean, that's what it, that's what it is. And that's what it, it should always be. It should always be about moving forward. Um, I always use the hashtag onward, like no matter what's going on, no matter what happened, the only thing that matters is going forward because that's all we can do, right? You, you learn from the mistakes of the past. You learn from your faults. You learn from the faults of others. But what can I do to move forward to make things better for myself tomorrow? Exactly. Um, and that's, that's so poignant, right? It's one of those things where this world, it makes it easy to like, like life is hard. <laughs> like dying's easy, right? Because nobody knows what happens when you die, but actually living life is hard, but actually living a fruitful life is actually rewarding. Um, and it just goes back to what you said, like do the opposite thing, like pretty much do the opposite thing than you normally would do. Okay. You know what depressed Clifford looks like. All right. 
what does joyful Clifford look like? Let's let's see if I can actually tap into that person. I know there was a period in time where I used to be that person, so it's there. Let me try to investigate that. Let me try to see if I can be that person. Once Let me do again. some research, right? <laughs> Let me yeah, research like, myself. <laughs> yeah, like do some research on yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, like, yeah, just figure out like who you are, right? Because I think, again, it goes back to even what you said earlier. We're so invested in other people's stuff that we don't even take the time to invest in ourselves. Now, imagine if you took the time to invest in yourselves that you invest in other people where would you be at right and it's it's that it's that mindset for me that has like all right i've i do so much for other people let me take the stuff that i do for other people i go above and beyond for other people let me go above and beyond for myself and see what happens and you'll see the drastic change so for me that's what it's been yeah i did a post earlier not earlier. This, this is a new week. So last week I was like, uh, you know, keep, keep that same energy with the hand claps that we always do. But I said, but for yourself. So to your point, you know, we, again, we invest all this time in the work and to other people and doing so much for other people. But when it comes to self, we don't nurture, we don't self care. We don't forgive ourselves. We don't treat ourselves fairly. We don't show love to ourselves. We don't show love to ourselves. We don't buy ourselves gifts. You know, we don't, we don't do all the minor things that we know make other people happy or or think might make someone happy. We being ourselves and granted is a challenge in learning yourself and knowing yourself and it's an ever growing process. But once you kind of put the work in to self-define and become more self-aware, it you you create opportunity to do small things just to make yourself happy. You know, like for me, I'm, 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 a, I'm not a health nut, but I'm very health conscious. So I'll get a little, I'll get like the, the small dollar ice creams at Hagen Dazs and be like, okay, you know what? I had a good week. Let me, let me, let me rock out on this for a little bit. Let me, let me eat this and make myself feel good. Give myself a little reward. Um, and it, it keeps me, it keeps me aligned with what my base and what my, what I love, which is health and wellness, but I'm still fair to myself in terms of, Hey, I like, I like this. I like this flavor. I don't want to, there's no reason for me to miss out on it completely. Let me just enjoy it in moderation. And I think that that's, that's something that also kind of ties in this, the idea of not, or rather enjoying things or um, not enjoying things in moderation. So, you know, there, there, I think realistically there are moments, no matter how far, far along you get. And I'll speak for myself, I guess no matter how far along I get in terms of stepping away from the depression, there are still moments where I'm just like, you know what? I'm like, I, I need it. <laughs> like I, I need, I need this little mental break, right? It's here for a reason. Let me just, let me just sit, sit in this moment for a little bit. Let me just lie on the couch and do nothing. Let me just lie in bed and do nothing. And I'll sit and I'll, pontif I'll pontificate and I'll think about different things, but I don't do it for a whole day, right? I don't do it for a whole day like I used to. I don't do it for weeks. I don't do it for months. I don't do it for years like I used to. Do it for a couple hours just to kind of feel like, okay, I, I remember this feeling. This this is this is com comforting. I mean, I, I definitely think sadness is a very comforting because it's it, it 
it does for me it doesn't get any worse like feeling low is feeling low and you can accept that you can feel that you can be a part of it but once i i, I think once i've kind of gone through the process process of being self-aware i can step back and be like okay i've felt this old feeling enough it's been a couple of hours time to get back on track and move forward with life yeah, like, it's funny when you said, like, you know, being sad, because, like, one of the things I always used to say was, like, misery was my mistress. Like, that that's my mistress. She's always there. I That's something, like, it got to a point, an unhealthy point, where I could rely on misery, right? That idea, like, yeah, like, if, if all else fails, I know that she'll be consistent, right? And that's an effed up mindset to have. <laughs> yeah right yeah. <laughs> it's a messed up mindset to have but like for me like that's what it was like like happiness and all this other stuff nah i, I it doesn't come to people like me like nah misery's all we see right but you know you grow um you start doing the work you realize like that's not true that's something that you told yourself because it kept you comfortable because of all the bad stuff that happened in your life um, but anything that's great is worth fighting for. And like depression is not great, but like finding your joy is one of those things for the longest time I used to fight against it. But finding your joy is so important because it gives you that base to actually combat depression. Um, because despite it all, like Big Sean in his new album, he said, like, he said a line like, oh, um, why are you asking while I'm smiling? And his response was like, why not? Right. You know, like, why do I need a reason to smile? Right. Um, and I think we get caught, we get caught up in this idea that we need reasons for everything, but like, if you want to be happy, just state that you're happy. You don't need a reason. Like, that's how you're feeling. That's how you're feeling. You know what I mean? Feel that. Um, and so that's one of the things that I've been really like just investigating, investigating what my joy looks like, my joyous self, like what brings me joy and continue building off of that. The depression is going to be there for the rest of my life. That's an ongoing battle, right? You know what I mean? But it's a battle nonetheless. Like I, I, every day I'm going to show up with my best self and some days it's going to get the better of me and that's fine that's okay it just means you're human and it means you're flawed you just go at it the next day until you know you have no more days left but until then like fight for that joy you know yeah um i think that's that's one of the the most one of the biggest the I guess the biggest challenges these past couple of years for me and with my spiritual um, growth is acceptance. And something that I've finally been able to accept, and it's really just, I think, been these past, maybe past year or past few months, is that, you know, depression is always going to be there. I don't, and it, it, it's, since it's based in, with so many other layers, like for me, it's, it's internalized, but it's also just ex externalized and just in terms of what the world is and um, being an empath and just like, you know, like, you know, the, the world ain't right, right? The, the world ain't right. And it, I don't feel like it's ever going to be right. And, and I don't, 
part of me thinks that like if you know if utopia i i'm always looking for the utopia i'm always looking for the world where things are more fair and people are treated more fairly and you know we don't have all this oppression and the reality is that i don't think it's going to happen within my life so that being that included with everything that has been ingrained within me as a child it reinforces it reinforced to me these past like this past year past few months is that you know what like this is just this is you, you have this this is this is just part of your your life experience but it doesn't have to be at the forefront like put it in the back it's in the back seat like I, I i need to i need to lead i need to drive i need to take charge i need the, the rather the creative me the creative me the the onward the forward thinking me the one who feels like he's fulfilling his passion doing what he needs to do that's the one that needs to be in charge because the other the other guy you know he he had his run he you know he he was there for years he was in charge for years on end and you know he fucked shit up a little bit he did some some random things that may have worked out but that's not what i want as my base anymore those days are over i've outgrown it and like i said you know it it appears every now and then and i can accept it and, and be fine with it um i wanted to ask you what what's one thing that photography has taught you or like what's the mo- what do you think the most important thing that ph- photography has taught you Oh, so this, 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 that's a really good question. Um, so one thing that photography has taught me is that it's all subjective, right? Photography literally is subjective. Any picture that you may see is subjective to the person who sees what they see, right? So what I see may be different from what you see. And that's what makes photography special. That is subjective. It's not an objective thing. Um, I may take a picture and I see one thing and like, you might not see it. So like a perfect example is, is that in Central Park um, by the Columbus Circle entrance, when you walk down a certain path, um, I see Africa. I took a picture of it. And every time I show people, they're like, wait, what is the picture? It's not until I mention like it's Africa, they're like, oh snap. Like I didn't even know like that was even there. That was a thing. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like, I immediately saw it as Africa. Somebody else, they didn't see it, right? But the beauty in that is that you can teach somebody pretty much what you're able to see from something else. So uh, that's one of the things that I'll say. Photography is a subjective for the good, for the bad, for the ugly, but it's a beautiful thing because it shows the differences in perspective um, that we all have. I like that. And it's, you know, the picture's worth, worth a thousand words, but, you know, it's worth a billion words, right? Because we're all going to interpret it how we see it based on how we're feeling that day, you know, what the, the lighting, the, and we, you know, we see colors differently also. Um, but yeah, like exactly. I, 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 I do most of my posts on IG are words and I'm thinking about, I'm just thinking about the differentiation between direct language and photos. And 
if there's any room for subjectivity in in, in language as as much as there is in photography yeah like so um like i was saying earlier like so for me what i do with my healing sessions is like um i'll take a self-portrait and then i'll write words over it so like and it'll be like a different piece that i write so this piece was called healing and scars and pretty much with that piece like i just talked about um you know like um healing when you heal it leaves a bunch of scars and but within those scars it's literally like something that you push past and you you know it's a part of you and how those scars are literally passed down from generation to generation they're the invisible scars that you can't see um uh, like for instance primarily like it came out of inspiration with like the passing of uh my grandma so um for me like that that's that was important because like i'm healing from that right now like it's still fresh but i'm healing from it but the lasting impact that she gave me like even though she's not here it still lives on going back to immortality right so like it's just one of those things like they see that and then they see my face i only nobody has a like people may have similar features to me but my face is my face so immediately it's subjective so um it's it's all intertwined on how the just you see yourself and your perspective of things and just sharing your perspective to see if it resonates with people um but more than anything it's really for you right I, yeah that, that's what it always feels like um I guess with the, the writing for me is definitely putting the energy and thoughts and ideas out and part of, I mean, you know, social media creates the, or, or not even creates, push it, social media has the likes and retweets and all these other features. These are, I guess it's a merit system essentially. <clears throat> and although I try not to be conscious of that, you know, it's, it's, there's still, you know, a part of you that feels more likes means more connectivity means more people resonated with it, which isn't always the case. Like, I, you know, I can write, I can post something with words and I can get likes, but I can get a lot of comments, people saying, you know, I, I, I fuck with that. I like that. Or I can get DMs saying, I really love that. Or people sharing it on their own feed or on, um, you know, IG, if you have a business account, you can see insights. You can see how many people have bookmarked it. So there's there's definitely that one aspect of, as you know, there's the duality of me doing it for myself, but knowing that it resonates just it adds fulfillment because that's because if I'm just posting it and no one's interacting and, and it isn't, and if I don't feel like it's resonating with anyone, then it then it feels pointless. And then your passion. You don't feel like you're you're on the right path for your, for your passion. I get I guess is um more of my point. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like I'm gonna be honest with you. When I just be posting, I just be posting. Like I like the thing that I check for is like the comment section, right? And, and the interactions, like the number of likes. Like you get likes, people are gonna like you, people are gonna dislike you. But for me, it's like what's going on in the comment section. If somebody's like this resonated with me, then I know like okay, I did my job. 
right? Like if one person comments like, yo, this hit different, this was so well said, this was like needed or whatever, I, I've done my job, right? Because it was really for me, but it connected on uh, with somebody. And so now they have, they have a perspective that they never had before, right? So, um, like, I don't really get, like, even though I have Instagram, I don't really use Instagram the way it's supposed to be used. Um, and maybe if I did, I'd probably be further along, but I just don't really care, right? I'm more so about having conversations in person type of person, more so like having conversations offline, um, how can this conversation make me better and you better at the same time? Like, that's the stuff that's important to me, right? The numbers are cool, but like, I, I always think about worst case scenarios because, you know, the the pessimistic person in me is like, if this is a zombie apocalypse, none of this shit will matter anyway. <laughs> like, like I, and I always think about that. Like, and in my mind, that's why I don't get hung up on it, right? When people are like, you should post more. I'm like, no, I, I don't really have to. Like, I don't, it's kind of interesting because like I have social media, but I'm not attached to it. Like I could go days without checking my social media. Um, because like, I don't really need it. Like, I don't need that type of access. What I need access is like reaching out to folks, making sure they're okay. Having these conversations, like, you know what I mean? That's the stuff that really matters. Um, I put my work out there because it's for me, right? It, it, it was a healing process and I put it out there because that's my process. I create it and then I share it to the world. If it resonates with somebody, cool. But like, I'm always in worst case scenario, if there's a zombie apocalypse, this shit won't matter. And that's what's happening with this pandemic. A lot of people are reevaluating the things that matter to them. And what you're starting to see is like, like you said, the great awakening. It's like, like a lot of stuff is going on and like certain stuff are more important than other things. Like if they rock with you, they're going to rock with you regardless. Right. Yeah. These past couple of days I've been tying into uh, your, your zombie apocalypse <laughs> first perception. It may, maybe not as um, specific as that. I, I've just been thinking about the real reality of my own mortality. And like, I have another account um, called Cliff, Clifford Cliff captures clouds where I just post pictures of clouds because I've always loved clouds as I mean as a kid and as an adult and I've, there was a part of me that always wanted to do photography but I hate taking pictures so I think this is kind of like a good transition for me but I've going back to the word going back to acceptance I've accepted that regardless of my fate whether it's tomorrow whether it's 30 years from now that my my post and my words just a living testimony of who I was that, you know, I've, I've just kind of been here to just provide outlook and insight and perspective for people. And I, I've, bec I've become okay with that. Like if that's all I am, I'm okay with that. Like if 20 years from now, Instagram still exists and someone just randomly clicks on a hashtag and they find my account and they're like, holy shit, this, this is dope. This is relevant. I like this. And it changed their perspective. And granted, you know, I, while I'm alive, I want that. I look not. I want. Um, I hope that's the that's the outcome. But in the future, also, 
you know, making, making timeless concepts, making timeless content that people can still resonate with. I'm, I'm okay with that. And that's been, uh, humbling, I guess, because the, the non-existence and death and all that has always been an issue for me. And it still is overall, but accepting more of going back to immortality, right? Going back to, this is my story, right? You can go through, you can go through my posts and these, this is, this is my story. These are the things that I believe in. And we all have that ability now because of social media. And granted, like to your point, I don't, like I'm on Twitter. I, I use it mostly for news and every now and then I'll just post some pessimist, something pessimistic or something uh, hypocritical in terms of perspective from other people. But overall it's, you know, it's, it's just, I want it for connectivity. I want it for, uh, I want it to be insightful. I want it to resonate and it, it's there and people are going to do with it as they, as they choose to. But to my point, no, I just gotta go onward, right? I'm gonna keep working and keep doing what I what I need to do, till I till I physically can't anymore. Yeah, like, like, I so like I've been one of those people. Like, I'm not like as far as death comes. Like, I've seen so much and been around so much death that like like it's gotten to a point where. I, I'm getting to the point where I'm becoming indifferent, but I need to feel that. Like, I need to feel the people who have died, like, because pretty much it's a reminder that I still feel, right? Um, the worst thing an empath can lose is how to feel, right? And as an empath, I, I that's one of the things that I've been fighting to do more so now because for so many years I felt nothing. Right. So it's one of those things where it's kind of like, yo, let me feel this. Like, let me feel this to make sure like I'm alive. Like, yo, this is going on. Like all these feelings, like these are things. Um, and as far as like the immortality aspect is like, like I said, if one person resonates with your shit, then you've done your job, right? Like, if if people really fuck with what you're doing, it, it, like, you've done your job. Like, I know for me, like, one person literally told me last, I want to say last year or two years, that a picture brought them healing. I've done my job, right? I'm going to continue doing it, but that's my purpose, right? right. If I could keep doing it, fine but like that's my purpose like it resonated with one person so it's kind of like you're on the right track keep going but you did something that was aligned with your purpose you made a person feel something with a photo that actually gave them healing that is an extremely hard thing to do right when you were talking about um healing i was thinking about the idea of confronting the, I guess the pain in a sense. And I was thinking about my grandfather who passed away in uh, 20, 2014, 2015. And prior to, and this is still, like during those years, I moved to Miami in 2013. 
and I think I left around late 2015 or mid mid 2015. And being there was sort of my sort of my process. Excuse me. Being there was the start of my process of just self healing and self reflection. And I talked about the the um, waking up and going to the beach in that day and having that great experience. So all of that allowed me to heal properly for, for my grandfather passing. Um, you know, he, you know, he, he, I mean, he lived till he was 98. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm honored and, you know, blessed to kind of have had that experience. He's the only grand, he's the only grandparent I've known. Um, and when he passed, I wrote a eulogy for him. And I think if I hadn't been working on my own self healing, I would, I wouldn't have had the ability and the courage to write that a write that eulogy or speak it because it's it's very much part of i guess dealing with the unexpected right like you as individuals we have to i say have to we should um we should get to the point but i'll i'll go back to have to be able to work enough on ourselves so that we can honor people also. I think that's also something that's important, tying in with heritage, tying in with culture, tying in with this love and vib- vibrational energy. It was difficult for me to write the eulogy, but I connected it with just everything I had been going through. I took, like his name was Valentin, and I talked about the idea that Valentin reminds me of Valentine, reminds me of the color red. And I made this effort in my life to, whenever I get an accessory, I I make it red as a remembrance of him. So like my phone case is red. At the time I had a Kindle and the case for that was red. I still have that. There's all these little things just as a small reminder of him. And had I not gone through that process, had I not worked on self to be able to confront that pain of losing him and being able to heal, I, I wouldn't have established these small um, reminders of him that kind of going back to the idea of immortal, immortalized that keep him immortalized with me to this day. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's just a perfectly great example of like, even though they're gone, they're not gone. Like they're immortal. They're with you. You are literally the embodiment of who they were, all the best parts of them. Like you carry that with you. Right. Um, it's one of those things where um when like my ancestor not not my ancestor but like my mentor always tells me this like you are a representation of the people around you so the way you conduct yourself the way you behave is a representation of all those who came before you and those who will come after you because they see you. And so it's like you said, carry yourself with honor and dignity, right? Um, Carry yourself with honor. Like you have immortalized him. And every time you pick out a red accessory, you might think subconsciously you might be doing this, but you might be thinking about like something that he taught you and pretty much you, like it helps you with your decision making or like the good times that you had or something like that like all those things add up and it's the main reason why like i feel like 
um, when we do pass, we still live forever if we do if we do it the right way. Um, if we leave lasting impacts on people, we live forever. Um, right, and that, that kind of ties in with for me with the aspect of community and vibrational love. Um, like I view. So going back to the idea of me not believing in a deity specifically and just believing in love and vibrational love. Um, a few episodes back, I talked about compassion with, with my co-host and I talked about reshaping how I view prayer and prayer not necessarily being to one specific deity, but the energy of prayer and having multiple people pray a chant for you, that being the energy that kind of helps you travel safely through the next journey. So although it, you know, maybe it's self-serving to, to an extent, but all life should be self-serving as a base, but also community oriented on the, on the next level without having that community, without having the people who you've impacted through your passion, through your loves, through the things you create, you miss out on that final vibrational push to kind of take you where you need to go in, in, in the next, in the next, whatever this is after this life experience. Yeah. Um, like when it comes to prayer, I, I, I pray, I pray often. I like my mom says a prayer every time I leave my house. Right. Um, and it's just one of those things that I've grew up doing, but, um, now more than ever, like, I've been intentional about my prayers and my thoughts and my meditations. And what that allows you to do is like, yo, like, yo, protect this person. Like, like I pray for people that I don't even know. Like literally when you told me about your grandfather passing, like, and you mentioned it was 2004 in my mind, I was like, yo, I prayed I was in my thoughts. I was like, I pray that he's at peace and like, yo, my condolences, like, you know what I mean? Because regardless of what happens, losing the grandparents hard, like I'm, I'm new to this, but like that pain stays with you. Um, but it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you just have to keep moving forward. Right. How can I best honor them living the best life possible? right? Making sure I'm not disappointing or letting them down. And uh, like you will, right? But it's ultimately one of those things where like, that's life. You're human. Like they've made the same mistakes that you have. Um, and it's just really just uh, pushing forward. Um, so when it comes to prayer, it's just making sure like you pray for people because like even when you're talking about energy, when you're putting that energy out there, it should come back to you tenfold. Like I'm making sure that I want to I want to see you get home. All right. You know what I mean? So like I, I totally agree um, with just the idea of prayer and pretty much like making sure you're praying for the right things that you can like that energy will come back to you i'm just praying for folks there's nothing wrong with it um whatever you believe to be honest with you um right and sometimes you know that's that's all that's all we got right i mean sometimes all you can do is just send love and energy like you say your mom prays for you before you leave the house because she can't physically protect you. She can't physically be there with you. So, you know, she she sends it up. 
she sends she puts the energy out there and you know some some something is with you right something yeah. is with you that keeps that you know calls you three times when you know you're about to go into the extreme right yeah like yeah. you just you just don't know like who's really looking out for you but like the thing is is if you're open to that somebody's looking out for you you know what i mean right 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 uh, all right, so let's uh, let's fast forward to not even fast forward. I mean, let's uh, talk about health and fitness. I mean, so when you like I said, you brought it up initially um, during like a pre pre call before the book club officially started, and again, what, what really drew me was just the motivation. You like, I I see this number, I don't like it. Something needs to change, and you did the work. So. What allows what allows for you to kind of have that mindset? What allows you to be like this? This needs to change, and you put in the work to start the change. Um, so I've lost weight before and I've gained it back, um, but this time was different. Like I got old. I've, I'm getting older. Um, I lost my grandma. COVID. You know what I mean? She had asthma. Um, uh, a lot of people around me are unhealthy. My dad has diabetes. Like a part of me was just like, yo, like you can't keep living like this. You know, you can't keep living like this. And you're one of those people who like always telling, you're always telling people like work out is good for you is doing this and you're not doing it. Like, okay. You, you, like, you've oh you you've never really had a problem with hard work but like we're just working out it just wasn't your thing so i was like you know what that number i gotta get rid of it forever i can't see that number ever again and pretty much it was for me it wasn't really about it wasn't really about the losing weight it's more so for me it's really about how can I increase my self-discipline and my consistency, right? That That's what it is for me. Because ultimately, if you're able to do something consistent and be self-disciplined about it, it literally will um, flow over to your other, um, it, to other aspects in your life. And I've always been a person who's worked hard. Like, I, I never shy away from hard work. So... The mindset was literally, all right, can I really get myself self-discipline to lose 144 pounds? Okay. Day one was hard. That sucked. I don't want to do this again. But let's go back out there day two, right? And like for the first 30 days, I, I challenged myself to work out every day. It's a stupid thing to do, but like I wanted <laughs> a to lot. Put, Damn. I yeah. I, I, I put I push my body. Like I'm one of those people who's willing to push his body to the limit. Like I've I've always been that type of person. How far can I push my body? Um but like I was like, yo, 30 days straight. No breaks. Just keep working out. So like I did a bunch of research. And I have bad knees, but I was like, how can I get the running, but this like get the running without the running. And so I looked at jump roping and, you know, 
I saw a whole bunch of YouTube channels about like how jump roping transformed people's bodies and it changed their lives. And like one girl, I watched an interview with, um, so the channel's called the jump rope dudes and she lost a hundred pounds. And like, she, she was kind of like me. She tried everything. A lot of things didn't work. So she tried jump roping. So I was like, all right, let me give this a shot. I bought the, I bought a jump rope. It didn't go well. The first few days didn't go well, but then I bought a substantial jump rope and I kept doing it. So the first, the first week I only did 10 minutes a day, right? Because you got to ease your body into it. Um, the second week I upped it to 20, the third week it's been 30 minutes every single day, right? You need 30 minutes to 45 minutes of workout time every single day that like that's what's required in order to like actually get your body doing something and then on top of that i had to give up a lot of um carbs right so in my house like we eat a lot of jollof rice jollof rice is like my favorite rice i would used to eat that thing every day i had to pretty much go cold turkey and pretty much the mindset was, it's like, how can I push my body can um, do this consistently and be self-disciplined not to fall off because people tend to fall off. Um, and for me, like the challenge was, it's like, don't fall off. Don't waver, keep pushing yourself. I know it feels, I know it hurts. I know it, you're, you're feeling some type of pain, but keep pushing yourself. And like, I, I was like, you know, I'm just going to shift my mindset. Like you get to a point where enough is enough. So for me, that number and like, um, what my grandma passed and like, that was the enough. Like if there's one thing I can control in my life is my weight. Um, and it, like, even though I may not look it right, it was unhealthy weight I was carrying. Like, I, like, I don't care what anybody says. Like people may feel some type of way, but I was fat. Like a lot of people don't like that word. Like they'll say like you were big. No, you have to sometimes be very real with yourself. I was fat. Like that's what it was. Like I had a lot of fat weight and like, I had to really be honest with myself about where I was. And once I did that, this shift immediately happened. Right. Um, because like most folks, like when they're on a weight loss journey, like that's the thing that always shifts their mindset, them being honest with themselves about their weight, because weight is a sensitive topic. Um, but once you're honest with yourself, the only person that you're really competing with is yourself. You're not competing with any other beauty standards or anything. You're just trying to get to a healthy weight. And for me, that's what it was. Like, I wanted to see what I look like at 200 pounds. I want to see what I look like at a healthy weight. I don't care about the muscles or anything. I just want to be a healthy weight. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, everything you said spot on. And it's, it's so much of what health and wellness needs to be. It needs to be self-focused. There isn't, again, you're not competing with anyone, right? Your body type your body type 200 pounds on you is going to be different 200 pounds on me different and different than 200 pounds on her like it's just it's just a reality and that you, you talked about self-discipline a lot and i mean i look at it 
as and I, I talked about this in the in the last episode, the idea that um you know I'm introverted. I grew up as a shy kid, didn't have that much confidence, but exercise brought a new person out of me. It brought a new type of um at times uh, asshole out, but in general and overall, it brought a new monster out of me in terms of knowing that I have the capability to achieve whatever I, whatever I put my mind my, my mind to realistically. And I think exercise is one of those, one of the, I'll, I'll use the word simple, one of the most simple, but one of the, also the most self-reflective things you can do to really just boost your confidence, boost your self-worth, learn more about yourself, I mean, you know, you talked about push, pushing your body to, to the limits, right? Like th- there's r- very rare instances where exercise is going to kill you. You know, you can, ru- I mean, running is the, right, run, running is the, um, <laughs> the big hurdle, right? Like the, those first few weeks suck. That first, that first running day is going to be terrible. You're going to hate it. You're going to feel uncomfortable, but consistency. Once you put the work in, once you kind of get used to it, once you learn your body, you learn how to move, you learn how to stride, you learn how to breathe, you learn how to relax your shoulders. Once you gain that focus, once you condition yourself, it's no longer a chore. It's no longer a burden. It's just something, it's just moving your body fluidly and everything else is kind of forms into it. Everything else just kind of flows naturally. And from there, you know, building that base, building that f- foundation, seeing what you're capable of doing with just your own two hands, whether it's, you know, whether you're doing calisthenics, whether you're doing weights, like you said, you, you know, you're doing jump rope, whether you're running, it's you physically doing it. And seeing that change is, it's, it's empowering. It's very, it's so empowering. And, re, you know, regardless of your goal, you know, like you said, you're not, you weren't doing it for the muscle, for the mass, for the look, you were doing it for health reasons. So whatever the goal is, as long as it's based in, um, I'll say healthy, a healthy goal redundantly, but as long as it's based in something that's focused on making you feel better about your life, feel better about your day to day and planning for the future. Like for you, you know, you talked about illnesses in your family. You want to avoid that. So you exercising and you try to put the work in to avoid the possible um, negative implications of, you know, historical family genes, right? Again, research, knowing, 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 knowing where you come from, knowing what, 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 what may be dormant in your genes and your family. And it branches off into, I think pretty much everything else, you know, without the confidence from working out, I wouldn't have found my passion. I wouldn't be creative. I wouldn't think I'd be able to do so much because I never, I never created that standard. You know, we talked about um, small victories in the last book club. Exercising is exercising those small victories. You know, whether it's doing twenty push-ups for the first time, whether it's j- jumping rope twenty minutes straight for the first time, all those small victories are kind of what you need to kind of p- keep pushing forward, um, and you know, most importantly, you talked about options, right? You, you have bad knees. So running isn't the best option for you. But again, you did research, you figured out what the options, what works just as well as running. And you found jump rope. And 
I think people, everyone just needs needs to reshape their focus when it comes to health and wellness and making it personal for them. And that includes finding options based off of, you know, your age, your body restrictions, injuries, and what what do you want to truly achieve? Yeah, uh, it's because I'm going to be honest with you, like, I like I said, I've lost weight before. So like, I was like, let me see what this is really about. And like within 30 days, I was like, oh, shit, like my body really shrank. Like, it, it and that's kinda, all it takes sometimes, right? Like, it's it, it, like, and sorry to cut you off, it, like this, the consistency of just doing something and it could be really realist, realistically anything, it'd be anything, doing it consistently for, you know, three plus weeks, you're going to see the change automatically. Like it, it's impossible to not see the change unless you're just doing it all wrong all the way every single day. Yeah. Like what? So today's day 66 or 67. Like I worked out yesterday, so I figured let me take this day to be my rest day. And what within 60, 65 days, what I've lost 50 pounds. So it's, it's one of those things, but like for me, if it wasn't from one of my friends who told me like, yeah, you should go weigh yourself. I probably wouldn't have done it to be honest with you. I'm not, I don't really care about the number. Like, and I think for me, like starting it off this time, that was the most important thing because we get so caught up with the number that it's like, yo, I'm not losing weight. But what I realized is like your body will literally change before you start losing the weight like it will physically change like you will be like the same weight but like you will start to lose the water weight and you'll start to lose this and then um you know if you change your diet like all that stuff slowly started changing for me like it didn't happen overnight i didn't jump into a strict diet i didn't do none of that do it slowly just make sure that exercise is, is is consistent in your life and you'll start to see the changes like and like for me like that's been like the most important thing like regardless of what i do like i'm no longer working out every day um only like five times a week um and i try to spread it out but even during my rest days i'll take a walk two three mile walk right um that's low impact you know what i mean but i'm still getting the work in and so for me, that's always been my thought process going into it this time. Like, just make sure you're doing something for your body that it'll be a happy that you're doing. And so as a result, I've seen my body change. I've seen um, my stamina increase. I'm able to do a whole bunch of squats and a whole bunch of jumper jacks, like without stopping. Like it's, it's certain things that like you kind of, when you look at yourself, you're kind of impressed and kind of like, yo, I did that, right? And one of the things like when I first started, I think I got, no, it was, yeah, day 30 when I finished it. Um, my boy Grant, he's a Marine. He told me like to keep going and like, I'll never forget this quote because it's literally staying with me. He said like that pain that you're feeling is the old you shaking. That shit was so profound because it's true. Like, I don't even recognize like, like my clothes fit better. Like my shirts fit better. Like, you know, and I have a ways to go. 
but I, because I'm not, I'm not, I haven't met my end goal, but like you physically start to see the changes and you're like, Oh snap, this is what it really brings. And like, right. um, you start to feel better. Um, you're like, you get into a rhythm and like, you just feel like you're doing good work. Like despite it all, like you're putting in the work and you feel good after it, you feel exhausted, but you feel good because it's kind of like how many people are doing it. And so it's kind of funny because in my neighborhood, like they saw that I was going out because I was doing it in front of our house. I would go out in front of the driveway and I would just jump rope every single day. And people would be watching and be like, what is this? What is he doing? And then more like as time kept going, like my neighbor, he's now he's joined in the count. He's like, oh, what day are you on? <laughs> I like that. That's dope, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and like the funny thing is, like the whole neighborhood knows that I've been jump roping and I've been losing the weight so much so that they're able to physically see the change. So one of the things I'll tell you, to be honest with you, I can't physically see the change unless I take pictures. Right because it's my body. I look at my body every day. Right. Right. But like when neighbors that you haven't really spoken to have been like, yo, like you inspire me to lose weight. I brought a jump rope. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. Nah, like just even that, like that I inspired you, you bought a jump rope, you're jump roping every day. Like for me that like, and that happened recently, like two weeks ago, one of my neighbors um, said that I inspired her and she bought a jump rope to lose weight. Like, and she's not a big woman, like she's older. So she's just like, yeah, I just want to exercise. And like you buying the jump rope took me back to my childhood and like me seeing you actually lose the weight and you being out there for as many days as you've been has inspired me. And I'm like, yo, like, I didn't even think people were watching me like that. In my mind, I'm just working out. Like I'm just doing my own thing, but you never know who's watching. Right. And and that ties in with the idea of just fulfilling your passions and doing the work, right? Like sometimes you just you just do the work. Like you said, you don't even use social media. <laughs> you just out there existing doing the work and people see you and they resonate with with the work you're doing, which is what it is sometimes. Yeah. So like this whole journey has just been an interesting one. I know like it's going to take me a while to actually lose all the weight. Um, and like, like my diet's not bad, but it can get better. Um, but I know for me, like this is a life change, like, and that's the mindset that I'm going through with it. Like, this is a life change. I'm incorporating this into my life. Like it is, this is not, going to be okay i lose the, i lose the weight all right there it goes like no like throughout the winter my neighbors will be seeing me jumping rope in the snow and <laughs> the rain no matter what yes it doesn't <laughs> matter they will see me out there doing it every single day even if there's a snowstorm if i gotta shuffle my own little spot i will be doing that <laughs> right <laughs> Like I, 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 that's, that's pretty much the mindset that I've adopted because it's one of those things like we'll try to find any excuse to like not work out. But again, I'm always about pushing my body, pushing the limits. I don't care. Right. Like I care about myself, but it's like that self-discipline. If I get the work in, even if it's for 15 minutes, right. 
because it may get too cold or the rain may be too bad or it starts hailing or whatever. Like I put in the work regardless. Like nobody can take that from me. Like I'm literally the only person that I'm really competing with is myself and my mindset. So like I'm I'm in this for the long haul. I understand like, you know, when I have children, like I'll be able to move with them. You know what I mean? There's just a lot that goes on. And like, we just have to do better, like, especially like as a black community to just take better care of ourselves. Right. Um, you know this because like, this is what you do for a living. This is your passion. So it's one of those things where it's kind of like, um, I, I, I see a goal. I want to achieve it. And then once I achieve it, maintain that weight for the rest of my life. Right. Like, I mean, I started working out in the seventh grade and naturally I'm a, I'm a skinny kid. Um, and genetic, I think genetic, genetically my body just responds well to weight, but also since I worked out so much when I was younger, I just get, I get good results. So I've gone through all the different phases I've gone through, you know, being lean and being muscular, you know, as bulky as possible. But to what to, your, to one of your points, like now, nah, I just want to feel good. I want to be healthy, and I want to be able to play with my kids. You know, I want to be able to do my errands. I want to be able to hike when I want to. I want to be able to go out and be as free as possible. And for me, this is just this is the, this is the foundation. The work, the exercise, is the foundation, so that. 30. So like 40 years from now, when I'm 75, 74, I'm not all beat up and banged up and like, damn, you know, I should have took better care of myself. I know now we, I think we, we all know, we all know the importance of health and wellness. We all know the importance of exercise. We all know the importance of eating consciously and making smart decisions. And my, my, one of my bases is if I know, you know, if you know, you don't have an excuse, I have no excuse not to do the things I need to do to make sure that my life down the line is as fulfilled and as rich as enriching as I want it to be. Anything else is me just setting myself up to be limited, to not continue to rather to, to be limited and to reduce my ability to kind of experience, you know, what this world offers, right? Like you think about, I think about going back to the idea of being in the system and, you know, you work, you take your two vacations twice a, you take your vacations twice a year. And then when you're 70, you know, your body's all beat up because you haven't done any of the necessary things to take care of it. Now you're just kind of stuck at home, right? Now you can't really go out. Now you, now you have, you have this free income, you have this, this income from social security from retirement coming in, but you can't enjoy the world because your body's out of whack or you have an illness. And, you know, it's unfortunate, definitely, but I think especially now with social media, with the awareness, with resources, with information, and with the younger generation knowing and being aware, I, you know, and I don't say this rudely, uh, but there's no excuse. There's no excuse not to take care of your health. It, it's, you know, it's, I'll just leave it at that. There's no excuse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had multiple conversations with friends about um, losing weight and how they said they're going to lose weight. And I'm like, stop talking to me about it and just do it. The first day is always the hardest day. I'm literally, I'm living proof that if you decide to do it, you can do it. Right. And 
like again like people will find excuses because like that's kind of the like we live in a culture where like you know we tell people like you know sometimes the way they look is is fine and it's okay but what i'm starting to realize is like when my friends is like they're not okay with how they look right they're the ones who are like yo like that's not okay like i don't like the way i look like it's not okay what i see in the mirror so like for me it's kind of like okay you're talking about it so change it like and all my friends know me like i'm about action like words are empty right like you need to go out there and start doing it whether that's walking whether like let's let's go like i'm not I'm not here for your words, right? I said I was going to do it. It may have taken me like a, uh, a couple of weeks to start, but like I was about that action. Once I started, I haven't stopped, right? So it's one of those situations where like people want, like because we live in a microwave society, like people want things right away. And like, that's not how it works. Like, this is going to take me a while to get to the goal number that I want to get to. It is going to take me maybe a year, two years to get to. But I'm cool with that because this is a lifestyle change. Like, anything in life that you want, you'll work hard towards it. So um, I totally agree. Like, if you're going to do it, just do it. Like nobody's stopping you. The only person who's stopping you is you. Don't worry about what other people um see. Like, you know what I mean? If I had did that, I would I would have stopped working out in front of my driveway. Right. But because I was doing it in my driveway every day and people were seeing me, it actually inspired folks to actually um better their health. You know what I mean? Mind you, like I'm not. I'm not the best shape. I'm not the, like, you know, the best looking person, like physically fit, but like what I am is a realistic model of what can possibly happen if you actually put in the work. And it also sets a, you also, there's also like this minor responsibility on you now, cause you kind of set the standard on the block. So now you're like the workout uh, you're the block captain, you're the workout block captain. <laughs> so now, you know, you know, you got to keep going out there. You know, you got to keep people, you got you to let people know that no matter, like you said, no matter snow or rain, you're still going to be out there doing some type of work. And it helps reinforce that, you know, they need that they can do it, whether it's raining, they can do it on the sunny days, right? Like if they haven't even started and they're like, damn, he's out there in a blizzard. Like I, I can, I can do this on a sunny day, right? Like it helps create a base for people. And granted, you know, life isn't about comparison. Like we said, it's not about what you can do, what I can do, but it's about the, 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 the physical abilities of the body, right? Like being outside in the snow, again, isn't going to kill you. Running isn't going to kill you within itself. There'll be a limit where you stop, but you need to put that initial work in, you know, you know, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 10 minutes, it needs to be that initial work. And again, going back to research and there's resources like, for any type of state your body's in, for any type of physical elements or limitations that you have, there's information and there's resources to help you get get on get on track. Yeah, and like I'll just add one more thing. Like to anybody who plans on losing weight, the thing that you should do, especially when you're starting, keep it simple. 
like there's so many different workouts and all this other stuff and like when i was starting i was like i'm gonna try this i'm gonna try that and then i pretty much was like all right i'm just gonna stick to this 30 minutes on the clock and i'm gonna do a pyramid um a, a, a pyramid uh circuit workout so i'm gonna do 30 seconds a minute jump roping 40 jumping jacks 30 seconds a minute jump roping uh 40 squats 30 seconds a minute uh jump roping 10 to 15 push-ups that's cycle one and my whole thing is how many cycles can of that can i get within the 30 minutes and can i finish so pretty much it's 40 so it's four cycles so can i get to four cycles within the 30 minutes yesterday i tried it i didn't finish it within the 30 minutes so it means like all right I gotta, I gotta really work out some kinks within my body. What's, what's tiring me? What I figured out yesterday, it was the squats. So like, I have to work on my squats. You know what I mean? But my, it builds your endurance when you do it that way. Just keep it simple. Like you don't have to go in and do a whole bunch of all these crazy things. Like, you know, just make sure that you keep your workout simple. That's, but again, that's what works for me. What works for me not might not work for you, but ultimately just keep it simple. Like when you first start and then you can progress because you're a beginner. So. Right. And, you know, go, going through the process, like you said, you know, you see what works and what doesn't work and what doesn't work, you throw out, you reassess. It, it's like you said, it's a lifestyle and there's time, you know, as you know, this, you don't know this time, but this time, you know, because, you, you know, you, you don't know. You don't know when you go, but this time, this time to put the effort in. It's time to see what works and what doesn't work. This time to be patient and be fair with yourself. I think that's also important Being and kind of ties in with what you were saying. You know, be, be fair, be compassionate with yourself and be realistic on your capabilities starting out as a beginner. Um, so. Uh, gonna wrap up in a bit. Wanted to learn more about your future goals, whether in photography, whether in health. You know, is photography kind of your? Is that your only long-term passion? So no, um, photography. So I'm entering cinematography. So um, I am. So photography is my first love, but I've really like fallen in love with video and just cinematography i love the way movies are shot i love certain scenes in movies like i so like i'm one of those people who watch a movie and like the way i view it is completely different from the way other people view it they view it for enjoyment i view it for like wow like how did they get that shot or like i love the way this scene was set like it shows the you know the difference between the characters or like this wide shot shows like how lonely this character feels and how like people use space so um primarily like for me it's like really telling stories um via video and photography like that's my whole thing it's like the art of creating but um what i've been pushed towards is being pushed towards more video um i still take pictures and I'll still take pictures if you want me to take pictures. But um, as far as like my own personal work, I'm leaning towards video and becoming a cinematographer. Um, because primarily, I, not only am I a photographer, I'm a videographer as well. 
So um, I do a lot of that stuff. Uh, I edit my own videos, but the goal ultimately is to create and tell stories, right? You know, hopefully, you know, I could win an Oscar someday, you know? Yes, yes. That's, that's what the work leads to, right, man? That's what the work leads to. Exactly. So um, it's really like, you know, not so much like for the recognition of winning an Oscar, but so much that a lot of people can see what I did on a bigger stage. So it can, going back to my purpose, if it resonates with you, then I've done my job, like that healing component, doing it in a bigger scale. Um, and just having that access so I can um, pretty much anybody else who who's in the same lane as me or like a similar or needs an opportunity, I could pave that way for them. Um, as far as health goals go, um, the road to uh, 200 pounds, that is the goal. Um, I told you earlier, I lost 50 pounds. I weighed 344. Um, so I'm almost there, you know what I mean? And I know like my body, I feel like my body's plateaued, but, um, I think I just might have to tweak a couple of things with my workouts, um, because maybe my body's gotten used to them, but according to yesterday, it hasn't, I struggled. So <laughs> there's that, but it's just really to l lead a healthier lifestyle, like, just adding the working out like and the jump rope the jump rope it will always be with me now until i'm no longer on this earth because that thing is it's so much fun it brings you back to your childhood and when you're jumping rope you're not even thinking about oh this is work unless you put the weighted ropes on then then it's different but it, it it's it's a fun workout like i don't really feel it on my my knees like at all whereas running like i used to feel it on my knees all the time and then on top of that i'm learning different tricks to incorporate and it's just a fun process to learn so i would say those are the two things i love that man and now uh, you know the the jump rope kind of becomes symbolism i feel like you know we keep these i, I mean I, I guess i'll go back to the idea of the uh the red accessories but the small things that we kind of keep around us are just a reminder, like jump rope kind of becomes a reminder of you pushing yourself, not even pushing yourself, you just doing the work and the, you know, you can look in the mirror or look at the scale or whatever, whatever condition you're in, you can know that, you know, this, this, like you think about the simplicity of things sometimes, right? Like you think about just handle and string attached and that allowed me to kind of achieve all of this when you look at your body. Um, and it goes back to what you said about, you know, make, keeping things simple, right? The simplest of things can have the most drastic effects, right? Like calisthenics, right? Who, who would think that it's pushing, pushing your body off of the ground could build up your chest, right? Who think, who would think that it's bending that bending consistently with strengthen your legs. So, you know, we have all the tools we need. Uh, we just gotta put the work in. Yeah, like, it's funny that you bring up calisthenics, because that's something that I've slowly incorporated into my workouts. And I'm like, I hate this. stuff. <laughs> it's like, it's not for the weight that I'm am at. But like, again, it's one of those things like a simple thing like a push up, like might be simple for a person. 
um, like you, right? But for me, like, I realize like I'm pushing almost 300 pounds up and down every single time. Like, and now in the beginning, it used to hurt, but now not so much. So it's one of those things where calisthenics is one of those things where I'm trying to get more involved in um, just doing pull-ups, dips, whatever I can. Um, my body's not responding well to it because I don't think it's there yet, but it's one of those things that I, I, I'm looking forward to getting into as well. I think calisthenics are, for, I mean, just my general understanding of fitness, probably the most difficult um, forms of movements to like really up the ante and kind of take yourself to the next level. Definitely more challenging plateaus to hit and kind of go through. Um, so, uh, and any final words, um, to listeners regarding passion, uh, black identity, health, wellness, you know, any, anything you want to kind of close up with? Okay. So three things, if you are feeling down or feeling some type of way, reach out to somebody, um, just ask them if you can just vent so you could get your feelings out there so you can feel better. Um, the second thing, if you're going to begin to work out, keep it simple. Just do it and just keep it simple. It doesn't have to be that complicated. And the third thing is um, find the joy in things. Um, continue to find the joy in things. Find what brings you joy on a daily basis. It, it, you know, ask other people what brought them joy. You know what I mean? Like a question like that might change the trajectory of a person's day. You know what I mean? So like those are the three things I'll say. And on that note, I'd like to end this episode of the Live, Lift, Love podcast, PEDs, Positive Enriching Discussions. I'm your host, Clifford Janice. You can find me on IG at Goltz Conditioning, and you can find me on Twitter at Goltz Condition. Temi, can you tell the people where they can find you? Uh, yes, um, my name is Temi Osuya. You can find me on IG at Views from a Cap. That's V-I-E-W-S-F-R-O-M. A-C-A-P views from a cap that's where you can follow like my photography journey and some of my weight loss journey I've been posting it on um, uh, my IG story so the next day the next goal date is 90 days so uh, stay tuned when is the 90 days gonna be what I think today's day 67 so maybe like I'm, I'm terrible at math like, <laughs> Let's just assume October, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah, somewhere in October. Late October. Right. Yeah. Right. You can listen to the Live, Lift, Love podcast on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to like, subscribe, share. And if you visit the Live, Lift, Love podcast on the Gold's Conditional website, please be sure to leave a comment. Stay safe, be good, and until next time, peace. Peace.